I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful if I'm slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelzol back here with Sam Monson, and we've got all the week two action to review here, Sam. What a crazy week. I feel like I say this every week, but wasn't this extra special? Yeah, I I didn't have tremendously high hopes for this week heading into it. I you know, the, you looked at the slate of games relative to week one, you're like, eh, it's not really as good. And then I, I almost made the comment in the preview show that we've already hit the part of the season where there's like multiple double-digit point spreads and, you know, it's happening already type of thing. And then we get to the games and, all right, some of them didn't look like they were going to be great to begin with. A lot of big scores, a lot of, you know, heavy leads. And then all of them reversed. Like, there was a massive comeback in every blowout. Um, you know, only a couple of games were any kind of significant score margin and just wild ridiculous things happening left and right. That was the first two weeks of the NFL, really. I mean, last week we said it seemed like the game started slow, and then you get into the 3 o'clock hour during that first slate, and they, they go nuts yesterday. The witching hour. Scott yeah. Hansen. The witching GM, hour. Tip of the hat. Well, Scott Hansen knows. I mean, the NFL is just ridiculous right now, so let's get, uh, let's get right into the action. Let's go. Let's start with uh, Tua, man, mm. in the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins win 42-38 to over the Baltimore Ravens, a game that was once... 35 to 14. Biggest comeback in the NFL in 12 years. What was the last one? Don't ask. 12 years ago. I don't know. Figure it out. Oh, I thought you had, uh, no, thought you had I just, the answer. Somebody said it was the biggest comeback in 12 years. I'm repeating it without doing any further research on my own. Uh, looks like we both picked Miami to cover the three and a half, and they did. Uh, shout out to the Ravens fan who was like, I feel good about us being up 21 right now and that you guys picked the Dolphins. You gotta, you gotta be careful, right? Twitter is an instant, you know, reaction medium. And during games, there's an incredible temptation to see something go, gotcha. Right. But you gotta, you gotta be careful that there isn't still time left for your gotcha to reverse and you look like an idiot. I've learned this through experience and through mistakes. Absolutely. So just my experience to you as an older you know, as an older gentleman who's been around the block a couple of times, just make sure you don't gloat too early because you can always wind up looking like a fool. Just big plays galore in this game. It looked like Lamar Jackson and the Ravens had figured out the Miami defense, right? I think they did, largely. I and mean, they did. Yeah. I mean, it's not that they didn't, yeah. but it looked like they were going to emphatically answer the that, call. Yeah. It was right? more that Miami then decided to go, all right, fine, <laughs> let's do this. Lamar averages 11 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, including a 75-yarder to Rashad Bateman. Lamar has a 79-yard run for a touchdown, averaging 13 yards a pop on the ground. Looks like the Ravens are running away with it, but the Dolphins keep creeping back. The Ravens are busting coverages. And it's the Dolphins offense with Tyreek Hill going 11 catches for a buck 90, two scores. Jalen Waddle, 11 for 171, two scores. First time in NFL history we've seen 10 catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns for teammates. And boy, this is exactly why you get Tyreek Hill and load up on playmakers. Yeah, and this is, you know, my concerns heading into the season were, well, can these two guys fire at the same time? Because in San Francisco, they couldn't get more than one guy firing at the same time. It was either Debo or it was Kittle or 
Ayuk, no, you know, they they weren't getting games where two of those guys are both having huge huge days. It was like it was it was one or nothing. Well, this is the game, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle combined for 33 targets. 33 targets for two guys. That's a game for some teams. I don't know why you didn't think they could coexist, man. It doesn't From matter the if they previous experience of the same offense. It doesn't matter if they put up the numbers in this game they did. But yeah, 33 targets between them and uh, you know, we've got we've just got some evidence. Tua played really well. Tua played really well. But now you've got the ability to to go down the field. We had that touchdown that Tua threw to Mike Kosicki that looked I'm not going to say it looked like an overthrow. I think he was just trying to throw the ball above the rim and let Kosicki go up and get it. And he did. You just see the the playmakers, man. This is this is how you win. This is how you put up points in the NFL. Yeah, and look, I I'm impressed by how they're deploying them. They're not just you know, lining each guy up in a position and saying, go play there. Like Tyreek Hill lined up in the backfield. This was something that happened early in his days in Kansas City and then kind of went away once they realized what he was and how he could be used and, and the, the, the effect that he had on defenses. Miami is tapping back into that. So, you know, this is somebody that's come from this Kyle Shanahan coaching tree of tin cup and being able to turn nothing into something. What if he's, what if Mike McDaniel is actually able to apply that to, superior athletes and actually end up with an even better version of the Shanahan offense. I mean, look, this is week two. Week one is overreaction week where it's the first thing you saw new for six months. So you go crazy and react to something, right? The the sharp people are like, nah, we're not going to do that today. We're going to wait. We're going to wait till week two. But then week two is when you overreact and that's when you screw it up, right? So week two. <laughs> week two, we can overreact. Ball, uh, Miami goes out there, hangs 42 on Baltimore, puts up record-setting numbers in terms of a duo in Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill. Tua looks great. Week two is when everyone's going to lose their minds and go, ha, it's working, Miami's incredible, Mike McDaniel is better than Kyle Shanahan, and all this kind of stuff. This was, I would assume, the high watermark of what this whole collection is capable of. But it shows that that's there, which is a statement. Like, before, I don't think we knew that this was... I mean, this is what supporters and optimists would have been looking at you know hey what if they do this and you'd be like yeah but what are the chances that actually happens now it might not happen long term but it just happened against the baltimore ravens who are generally a pretty good defense so this is a hell of a game for miami to show up with coming into the season we talked about Tua averaging under six and a half yards per attempt that's a really low number through two years and now we're talking about week one i think he was over eight this week 9.4 on 50 attempts once again, what the Shanahan offense derivatives have done is put up, you know, big yards per attempt, create chunk plays. And Tua and the Dolphins offense are doing that because, in part because of these playmakers, um, but Tua's playing, played a little bit better this week. I didn't think he played well in week one. He missed some throws, tried to throw the game away in the fourth quarter. He played much better in this game. Six touchdowns, two picks, 18% of his career touchdowns <laughs> came yesterday. Tua Tungavaloa is in year three in the NFL. He's had some injuries. He wasn't the starter right away, but he had 18% of his career touchdowns in one game just yesterday. You know what I'm really excited about for this offense, this version, the, the Mike McDaniel version of this offense, is they are still leaning into RPOs. So last year, Miami ran an absolute boatload of RPOs, and it was largely because everything around them stank. 
and they were trying to like boy it up right the offensive line is garbage let's try and remove a bunch of plays where the offensive line is even pass blocking and that'll help it will protect it and let's face it two is not doing that well because the offensive line is garbage and the receivers aren't great so let's give them a bunch of simple reads and rpos and free plays usually i mean there's a lot of teams that run rpos for that reason there's also a lot of teams that run them because they're effectively cheat codes they're free manufactured offense that like there's a reason the kansas city chiefs lead the nfl in rpo rate you know it's it's a good thing that works yeah um but for some reason kyle shanahan has never really used rpos doesn't like last season the 49ers ran them under five percent of the time the chiefs were at 20 over 20 percent of the time so four times the rate that kyle shanahan uh excuse them the, the dolphins last year were one of the top five teams they ran a few of them yesterday. They've been top five, you know, this season. So that's an area where, you, you know, again, the are you going to lose the run of yourself and get out of control and go, hey, Mike McDaniel's better than Kyle. I mean, he's the mastermind. Kyle Shannon is just the stooge taking all the credit for it. That's probably over the top. But if you're looking for evidence that Mike McDaniel can bring that offense over and evolve it, add elements to it, add layers, add depth to it, that's one like i would i have said for a while that i think shanahan is essentially leaving some meat on the bone or, or not picking up some low-hanging fruit because like why do they not integrate rpos into an offense that's already a cheat code it seems like just free yardage sitting there that he's not using if mike mcdaniel's willing and able to pick that up in addition to the Jalen waddle tyreek hill stuff that's exciting the uh this game could have gotten even crazier look i, th- I think lamar jackson played well but there was a point where the Dolphins got within a touchdown. And Lamar, they, they did the zero blitz deal. I think it was on a zero blitz again, but Lamar threw it back. Uh, and inside, Xavier Howard got his hands on it. Should have yeah. been a pick six. Could, right? Especially he, for Xavier Howard. That would have, right. Exactly. Howard does not miss those opportunities. Like we talk about Trayvon Diggs. Like he, when mm-hmm. you might throw it to him and it might be a little lucky, but he catches it. Yep. Xavier Howard has those same skills. So as crazy as it was that the Dolphins made this comeback and had the game-winning touchdown late it was almost a game-tying pick six yeah um from lamar jackson against the blitz in this game lamar jackson went 13 of 16 for 213 yards two touchdowns no picks for a perfect passer rating of 158.3 now as you say it's you know it's helped by the fact that xavier howard didn't plus the run plus the the run that lamar had right it's helped by the fact that Xavier Howard didn't pick off a pass, take it back to the house. Um, But I think you can fairly conclusively say that they figured something out from last time. The one thing that I would be concerned, though, if I'm a Ravens fan, and I know we're we're not supposed to talk about the run game here on the PFF NFL podcast, but the Ravens running backs had 15 carries. I mean, Justice Hill led the the team with 16 yards for running backs. I mean, Lamar goes nine for 119. There was a point in this game where it was like, okay, this feels like old school Ravens. It's not a high volume passing attack, but Lamar is just uber efficient and they're creating chunk plays. Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, Isaiah likely gets in there, chunk play after chunk play. And then you look up and it's like, oh wait, they haven't run the ball at all. That's that's where the 2019 yeah. team was missing. This in 2019, Lamar would have put up those numbers, right? Only 29 attempts for 318 yards. He would have put up those numbers with another 200 yards on the ground from the team and through two weeks the Ravens have not been running the ball effectively at all and I think that's a big part of hey they're not they weren't able to put this game away this is the opposite of what people have said the Ravens are yeah but usually when they have a lead they're putting this thing away Ben Stockwell tells me that Lamar has now already broken Michael Vick's record for a 100 yard 
quarterback rushing games career. Oh, yeah, I believe now, it. So do I. But what's the number? You know off the top of your head? How many is it? Probably three or four. It's, so he's now at nine. To me, that's the most amazing part of that record is that Michael Vick only had eight 100-yard quarterback rushing days in his career. Yeah, but he only played like two years in a world where they were looking at design quarterbacks. They ran a few quarterback design runs back then. Doesn't that just typify, like, doesn't that just sort of highlight how absurdly square peg and a round hole Michael Vick's entire career was? It's like you you had Lamar before Lamar for want of a better expression and you managed to get eight games like this out of him and those would have been eight games where it was like Vic just scrambled around and did something crazy as opposed to you actually leaned in in any way shape or form to his designed rushing threat it's just like malpractice as a play caller I know I wish I wish we had a a few I wish Vic came in just a couple years later we gotta get Michael on the show we'll get him over here all right, so Dolphins 42, Ravens 38. Dolphins moved to 2-0. Heartbreaker from the, from the Ravens. The, the, back, the secondary was just a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like Kyle Hamilton was at the center of at least one of the coverage busts there. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, Ravens yelling at him. It also, the, the Tyreek Hill one where he got behind the defense looked like just pure cover two, and there was just no safety there. Um, there was a 15-second stretch where the Man, Ravens— Which, the second one? I know this is bad. There was uh, the yeah. first one. I want to say I, I don't even remember. We just ran past Marcus Peters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we had poor grades on pretty much everybody in the secondary yeah. for the Ravens. That's supposed to be a strength, so they got to figure that out. But there was like a 15 second stretch of real time where the Ravens forgot to cover people, and then the Browns forgot to cover people, and obviously that's when those yeah, it's it's not a good happened. thing when you have to specify which horrific coverage bust on Tyreek Hill are we talking about here. Not great. I want to get into the other uh, AFC East over AFC North game, but don't forget the PFF. That PFF now has an app featuring industry-leading fantasy football advice, the exclusive PFF betting dashboards, and the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. So go check out the PFF app. Be sure to sign up and leave us a five-star review. The PFF app is live. All right, let's move on to the Jets 31, the Cleveland Browns 30. See, the, the guy in the, uh, the chat is doing your job for you, saying everyone make sure you hit like to make this go viral. See, yes. James, Thank James, you. he's got it. You don't. More likes. Tell your friends, too. Tell your friends. Uh, shout out to my dad. Happy birthday, Dad. He's probably watching. Dad, hit that thumbs up button. Happy birthday, Steve's dad. Yeah, yeah. Steve Sr. Steve Sr. Little Steve. He's like 5'8 now. Little Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I think he used to be 5'11". I call him Big Steve still, but, you know, that's what's funny, though, because I'm, like, a foot taller than him. It's very funny. Yeah, Yeah. it's very funny. We laugh. We laugh at that. (laughs) Happy birthday, Dad. Um, All right. Jets 31. Browns 30. Tyler, how's it going back there, man? Oof. It's a rough day. rough day. I love games where, like, where something happens and, you know, because I picked Cleveland. Yeah, it's tough. I was rooting for the Jets because I thought I picked the Jets. I talked myself out of it late. I, I thought I, I thought I covered this. Apparently not. My picks are the worst. Yeah, yeah, you stink. Man, you didn't have a good week. I had, I had a pretty good week. Yeah, second straight week here. I got nine weeks and we, or nine wins. We still got two games left. We don't overreact. No. So what were you saying? Uh, I love games where you know it's a weird kind of world where there's a stat for everything, and a lot of them are pretty heavily contrived. But I love games where something weird happens at the end, and then it. There's a bunch of stats to come out to tell you just how absurdly unlikely that was. Yeah. You know, so I want to hear it. ESPN stats and info: The Browns blew a 13-point lead in the final one minute and 22 to lose to the Jets 31-30. 
NFL teams had won the last 2,229 consecutive games when leading by at least 13 points in the final two minutes. So you can give them like another 38 seconds on top of what they took to blow it. Uh, The last team to blow such a lead, the Cleveland Browns in week nine of the 2001 season versus the Bears. So the Browns... That was when they threw the pick sixes. The Browns broke... Safety Mike Brown? A 2,229 consecutive streak since the last time they did this. Uh, And then Field Yates had a tweet that says, uh, crazy look back moment, with a minute and 55 left in the game, and this is worth talking about. Nick Chubb took a carry for 12 yards and a touchdown to go up 30-17. The Jets had no timeouts left. If Chubb simply went down, the Browns could have run out the clock. Instead, the Jets pull off a miracle 31-30 win. Yeah. This is, I think, a theme from this weekend, from NFL in generally right now, is that at an age where you should be getting better at this stuff, late game clock management, just understand situational awareness generally between coaching and players, it feels like at the very minimum we're staying where we are and not getting better. And if you're looking at it pessimistically, you can say we're actually getting worse. It, it, like Nick Chubb has to have that awareness of what, what, what time is on the clock, what the situation is, what is the difference here between me scoring and me not scoring. It, does that make a material difference between us winning this game? Now, look, going up 30 to 17 seems great. But if the difference is small chance versus no chance, stick with the no chance. Yeah, I mean, it's just to, just to rehash that situation too. Chubb gets into the end zone with 35 seconds left in the game. 35 seconds left in the game. And I bet it, even if you look at like the win probability, I haven't looked at the win probability charts. This is a separate touchdown. Not the one that goes that goes up thirteen, because they because the Browns scored as well in that final. I'm talking about the Browns. Thing. Yeah, but they but the field the the one where they score up to go up uh, with a minute and fifty five left in the game is when he first scores. No, I'm seeing. Uh, am I looking at the? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong. Oh, with a minute fifty five. I got you. I got you. I'm looking at the time of the drive. I think. I'm sorry. Yeah, so Nick Chubb goes in to score to go up 13. 30 with two minutes, with what, buck 55, right? So 30 to 17 at that point. I mean, you're still expecting the Browns to probably have 99% win probability. Of course. But, but if he but goes down, the game's over. Yeah. But if he goes down, the game is over. So you have a, a missed extra point, which also helped put this, you know, allow this to happen. And then with a minute 32 left, the Browns bust a coverage. Right around the same time, the Ravens forgot to cover as well. Something happened with the AFC North coverages. And the, the Jets get within a touchdown. It's like, all right, they're within six. And that's fine, right? There's still, there's still plenty of time. I mean, there's, you, you just get the, ex, you get the onside kick if you're the Browns, and it's over. Instead, the Jets get the onside kick. Joe Flacco hits Garrett Wilson, who you... Uh, you said is pretty good. Garrett Wilson is mm. good. Had the fade touchdown really earlier. Really good game yesterday. Looking good, man. A 15-yard seam route. Joe Flacco, yeah, man, made some good throws at the end. Got to give, got to give Joe, Joe Flacco credit. But the 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 Jets win 31 to 30 in part because Chubb doesn't go down in the extra point. Yeah, missed extra point. And, and a million I, other things extra too. Point is huge, but the like busted coverage. But there's a lot of bad stuff that all happened at the I, same look, time. Look, I don't want to make it all like, hey, Nick Chubb, what a what a glaring mistake that he cost him the game. But 
it feels like that's a situation where he has to know. Like, we've seen NFL players do that before, you know, where you had the choice between scoring, putting yourself up a touchdown, which is good, but doesn't it still leaves the possibility of this happening. Like, a lot needs to happen from that point afterwards for you to blow this game. You know, it's not like that's Nick Chubb's fault. But the difference between you do win if you stop versus you almost certainly win, but not, not certainly, you know? Just yeah. that lack of awareness, I think, is something that, for some reason, seems to be getting worse for teams in the NFL right now. It's it's one of those things where they, they put so much time and effort into it. And I have to say, when I was at just watching training camp and watching some of the end-of-game situations that they work on, think about how many hundreds of thousands, you know, thousands of situations that there truly are at the end of a football game. And I'm thinking... It's really tough. Like they're, they're, they're practicing like, oh, 50 seconds left, we're down one score. Yeah. Right? And I'm thinking about, like, this is one specific situation. How do you even have time I thought that to yesterday. practice all of these situations? I thought that yesterday at the end of the Rams-Falcons game, which we'll get to, where they decided to do that. Let's take an intentional safety where we run around and, like, chew up as much clock as possible. Yeah. I thought, like, I mean, how do they <laughs> – where did they practice this? You know, yeah, right. They find the time in the hour and a half practice session to carve out 10 minutes to go. All right. When this happens, this is what everybody needs to do individually. Yeah. I mean, look, my my tendency and I think the way, you know, we analyze the game, Sam, it's very much player driven. Do you have the good players? Do you not? We just said that with the Dolphins, right? Get Tyree kill, get Jalen Waddle, get the speed, create big plays, all that stuff. But it is amazing how many percentage points of win probability go into the game management stuff. And yeah. I know that there are there are people within the organization where that's their entire job, right? I've talked to game management coaches where their entire job is to know the opposing refs and the turf and which cleats the guys are supposed to wear. And, you know, every situation, what are you supposed to do? I, there are people focused on that. But you have to have that communication all the way to the head coach. And at some point, like you're saying, with the Rams play, you still have to practice like, uh, Brandon Powell's going to catch the ball and run backwards out of the end zone. You but, still have to incorporate it into practice. And the too. lines of communication are so important because I would imagine whoever that guy's job is with the, within the Browns organization is acutely aware of that Nick Chubb thing, right? Oh, yeah. And on this yeah. play, if the difference between him scoring or not is significant, so there has to be some kind of communication. I mean, obviously, that guy is not going directly to Nick Chubb. He's probably up in the booth somewhere and Nick Chubb's down on the field. But that guy needs to be able to yell in somebody's ear and say, hey, tell Nick before this play that if the, the Red Seas op- if the, the C's part and he's got a touchdown, go down at the one. Like somebody needs to be able to communicate that to him because, all right, maybe it is unreasonable to expect Chubb to know that. But somebody knows that and the, the, the message didn't get through. Poor Browns, man. They were doing montages late in the game for the last time that the Browns were... 2-0. <laughs> they said it was 1993. Was it 93 or 94? But they said it was 93. They were doing the whole, like, here's what uh, Jurassic Park was in the theaters. Yeah. That was is the, is the number one hit. Yeah. And uh, gas was a dollar. And, you know, they were, they were going through all this. Days. Yeah. I remember 93 gas prices. It was great. Like, high 90s. Like, 91 cents, 94 cents. You know, you get, it was like a buck nine. Uh, they were going through the montages. Only the Browns. Only the Browns could uh, supersede the uh, last time you were 2-0 montages late in the game. Mm. Uh, Jacoby Brissett played a, played a solid game. He was the... Right up until the end. Right or, up until the end. He had a, you know, a ne- kind of necessary play and just went full Jacoby. Yeah. 
You let, uh, Amari Cooper had nine catches for 101. He had a touchdown. Sauce yeah. Gardner may have given up his first touchdown. Looked like a coverage bust that was on him. Uh, he also very almost gave up one, like a, f- a little bit earlier to, was it Donovan Peoples-Jones in the corner of the end zone? Like, it was one of the, yeah, so many of these, like, an inch, Oh, he pushed, yeah, he pushed him out. Of, yeah. An inch of, like, foot coming down the turf, you know, as opposed to just inside the turf was the difference between a touchdown or not for him. Yeah, the Browns had 229 passing yards, and Amari Cooper caught 101 of those. So Cooper showed up for his first big game as a Cleveland Brown. You look at the rest of that receiving core, though, and it is like, hey, where is everybody? I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, that end zone thing was his one target. Didn't quite come off. Uh, David Bell was supposed to be the savior. You know, it was a rookie draft, one catch for six yards. Like, where is the rest of that receiving group? Anthony Schwartz is just bringing nothing to the table at this point. Um, I would have to say, as much as the Browns, it felt the worst about the Browns. I felt the worst about the Browns this year, roster-wise, than I have probably the last two years. Sure. I mean, in part because of the depth at receiver and just, you know, didn't see. This is why the whole, you know, Deshaun Watson thing is, is significant if you were budgeting in the idea that you might lose him for a season or 11 games or whatever it is because you can't just burn a year of a competing caliber roster it's too hard to maintain it and if they did that this year like if they went all right fine we can lose this season we'll keep it together we'll win next year like I mean, you got work to do. This is a roster that's that's not in as good shape as it was a couple of years ago and now you need to get it better with a giant quarterback contract hanging around your neck one last thing i'll say about the jets having a garrett wilson who could have the two scores and you see the route running and you know what he what he brings to the table they are they're just starting to get better right i mean say what you want about the browns clock management and all this stuff the jets clearly have better players now than they did last year better players than they did two years ago and it's little things like that, I think, that they're well, – we, we talk about them pushing into the right direction as far as their roster goes. Not just that, but let's factor in that they're dealing with a situation that's worse than they should be because their offensive line is in pieces right now in terms of injuries. Like, rookie Max Mitchell is starting at right tackle, gave up a few pressures. Uh, George Fant is starting at left tackle, gave up a bunch of pressures. Like, Mike, for the second week in a row, uh, Miles Garrett has been wrecking house and costing – the, the opposing offense big plays like he destroyed Iki Aquano in the first game he was destroying George Fant in this game wasn't quite enough but I mean the Jets are dealing with that and still showing up having a big offensive day Joe Flacco throwing four touchdowns having a couple of big time throws in there topping 300 yards all those kinds of things um, like they could be better still because that offensive line should be better Browns have to are they coming back uh, Thursday night is that this week uh, yeah, Brown yeah, Steelers. Yeah. Brown Steelers Thursday night. So they got to bounce back from this for uh, for Thursday night football. We have special guest Wednesday. Yes, we have the great Joe Thomas. Ah, making his return. Friend of the show, returning future Hall of Famer. Right? He's not actually. He's not yet. No a future Hall of Famer. Future Hall of Famer. He just got put into like whatever the Browns call their. It's not a Ring of Honor. They call it something else, like Browns Tyler or others. What do the Browns call their Ring of Honor? He just got inducted into it. Your volume's a little low. I can't hear you. You don't sound excited either. Browns legends. That's what they call it. Browns legends. Browns legend Joe Thomas Mm -hmm. on the show on Wednesday to preview Thursday night football. Steelers and the Browns. We'll get into a few more of the games. But first, shout out to our friends at No House Advantage. They're changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 plus 
in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and multiply your entry by 20 if you hit all your picks. 20x, baby. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders and individual player matchups across every major sports league. That includes the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now using promo code PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on no house advantage all right let's go bucks and saints it's a lot of acronyms you can bet on yeah nfl nba mma mma pga a lot of three-letter things you can bet nascar on. is nascar a uh, an acronym uh, I, I think it think might so. be not not strictly right no i don't think it is oh, i picked i got this one wrong it too is. the national association for stock car auto racing there you go i told you yeah, well done. Told you it is. Until I said it wasn't. See, this, this is how I do my picks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben so this is how this whole it. show works. You know, you say something like, no, yeah. and you're like, yeah, you're right. From now, I'm going with my first instinct. And then sticking with it. You got to back it up. Stick with your first instinct. Can't back instinct. down. Yeah. Can't yeah. let me talk you out of it. You got you to gotta fight back. Remember, Greg? Greg's disappointed in you right now. Greg with two Gs he's, was right. He's not mad. He's just disappointed. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's awake at four in the morning right now watching us, too, with, with so much disappointment. Uh, Saints. And Bucks, Bucks win twenty to ten. You you called it, man. The 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 Bucks, uh, they they overcame. Yeah, the Saints in the regular season, a crazy game broke out into another fight. Yes, it they, is it is unbelievable that Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore can get under each other's skin that much. The PFF app really liked this bet for the Bucks. You know, the the app has a, a, a smart bets feature, and it sort of highlights with letter grades. You know, the the confidence of the PFF data indicates you should bet on a specific side or a specific over under or, or line or whatever it really liked the bucks heading into this game as well so i mean it was right too the funny thing about that fight is brady started it brady was pissed off he was acting like he was acting like a bitch you know he was things were going bad he was swearing at people he was shouting he was lobbing uh, tablets around the place again the way brady does when he gets into that childish temper tantrum mode he's intense and was it was that the it was Mike Evans down the sideline was that the play or was this a Scotty Miller one but anyway Marshawn Lattimore blanketed Scotty Miller down. against Marshawn Lattimore that's that was the play yeah. so Lattimore blanketed Scotty Miller down the sideline you know incompletion just dominated him on the coverage and he's like trotting back and Brady starts John with with Lattimore and that sort of starts the whole thing. And then Fournette comes in Lenny and Lenny and Lattimore get into it Evans sees this from the sideline and runs like 20 yards to just deck Lattimore and start the whole like proper fracas. But Brady started that. Like Brady drawing was what caused that. That was the spark. Just a that little trash the talk. Fire. It gets intense on the field. I do like though. We've this was a big weekend for for fights. We got uh, Canelo Triple G three, and we got Evans Lattimore three. Yeah, I mean we needed the trilogy here. Exactly. So I, I, said, I sent a message to you at the time, and I said, this could be a win for the Bucs. I think it because, is. Because when they're on the actual football field, I mean, Evans got a couple catches yesterday, but... Lattimore, for his career, owns Mike Evans. Yes. He essentially negates him. Yes. And I was thinking, even though the Bucs were missing Chris Godwin and missing Julio Jones, and they don't have a threat at tight end, 
it was still pretty good to lose Mike Evans if you're the Bucks because you also lost Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah. And it gave some opportunity. And that's where, you know, Prashad Perriman ends up with the game-winning If touchdown. you were Go looking ahead, at touchdown. this as a business transaction and you were saying, okay, if I could tell you going into this game that you can have both Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore on the field or neither of them, which would you go for? Yeah, neither. If you're the Bucs, you'd, you'd say neither. Yeah. Because he wasn't just, A, he was taking away Mike Evans most of the time when he covered him, but he wasn't just taking away Mike Evans. Like the play that, got, that started this whole thing was him eliminating Scotty Miller down the sideline and taking away a deep catch that could have been there. So, and, and also, you know, the, the thing we talk about before, which is cornerback is a, a kind of weak link process. Like, or a, you, you need, you can't just have one corner because they can go somewhere else with the ball. You need a, a stable of really good corners. So taking away the number one guy and, and suddenly having none of those guys is a big thing. Whereas wide receivers, okay, if you lose your number one guy, it's not great, but you should still have a bunch of other options to go for. So the whole thing generally works out better for the Bucks to eliminate both those players in the game. I mean, at this point, I would be saying to Mike every time the Bucks play the Saints, hey, Mike, you know, if you if you get yourself, yeah. Just also, why why do we use disqualified rather than ejected? Ejected is clearly a better word. Anyway, yeah, I have no idea. If you, I'm not saying do it, Mike, but if you happen to get ejected early in this game, you know, I'll cover the fine. You know, Brady Brady's got that kind of catch. Yeah, as long as you don't get uh, suspended for the next game. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the only do, thing. Yeah, right. Figure it out just just that side of the suspension line. But you know, you get yourself ejected, I'll cover your fine, and I'll make sure. You get, you know, five more catches in the rest of the season to, to cover the loss. So it was 3-3 at that point, and uh, Brady hits Prashad Perryman for the go-ahead touchdown late, and uh, the Saints just could not get anything going offensively on the other side. Bucks defense played well again, flying around on the defensive side of the ball in coverage, and Jameis just missing throws and throwing the ball to the defense as Devin White suggested they knew he would. Hmm. His former teammate said, I knew Jameis would throw us the ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not like, you know, you don't need some divine foresight to know that Jameis Winston is probably going to give it's you going to give you some opportunities. Yeah. Um, but not to spend too much time harping on the fight, but. No, I was trying to move on. No, I know. But I, I one more point. Um, as much as, so on the field, Marshawn Lattimore pretty much owns Mike Evans. In the fights, Evans is killing him. Like Evans is way ahead in, in points. Aren't they kind of cheap shots, though? I mean, look, fights a fight, Steve. You gotta, you gotta have your head in a swivel in, the, yeah. in, in these situations. You know. Yeah. All I'm saying is that Evans has has floored Lattimore, I think, twice now in three fights. Uh, it's funny because I've talked to some people at the box who say Evans is just the nicest guy. Yeah. He's just the nicest guy. I mean, I look, I know, you know, you temper and it's, it's the heat of the battle. But Evans, they get under his skin. Tristan Wirfs was saying in a, in some in the locker room, I think, afterwards that was it Ryan Griffin? Somebody told him that like when he came in, he's like, you have to find Mike Evans after every play. Like, make sure, because this will happen. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> you, you need to see, you need to yeah. locate him after every play and ensure that this isn't going to happen. Like that, yeah, so whatever happens, you know, once he crosses the, the whitewash onto the field, Mike Evans becomes a different dude. Yeah. I mean, so this... Um Look, the Bucks. The Bucks struggled offensively. Brady had a few few passes that could have been caught. Few, you know, they just they were just very inconsistent offensively. 
down all of their receivers. And I think I think the Buc- the Bucks are going back to running the ball a ton on early downs. They didn't have a ton of su- success up front against the Saints. They did pass protect really well. The Saints usually get a lot of pressure on Brady. They did not in this game. The Bucks O-line from a pass protection standpoint, you know, Brandon Walton came in because uh, backup left tackle Josh Wells got hurt. Brandon Walton had played four NFL snaps to that point. He held his own in pass protection. But the Bucks are stitching it together on offense yeah. right now trying to run the ball. I think they I think they came into the season saying, "Hey, we don't want Brady throwing the ball 45 times a game like he did last year." And it feels like they're playing the long game. I mean, and so far 2 and 0, but they have to stay healthy if they're going to do any have any kind of damage. Make you know do anything really yeah i mean you look at the last couple of years and how stable that offensive line was and how good it was across the five of this in in this game the five offensive linemen with the most snaps were as you say brandon walton at left tackle shaq mason who's brand new in the building robert hainsey tristan Wirfs, the all pro and then luke gotticky the the rookie who hasn't exactly been playing tremendously well as a pass blocker in particular like you've gone from having five strong spots to having three question marks and you know the fourth is brand new and basically Tristan Wirfs and it's still holding up pretty well um as I said the Saints on the other side Jameis just um they had a couple deep deep ball opportunities and he missed them not that they were wide open or anything like that he was just accuracy was off too it wasn't just Jameis throwing the ball to the defense had a few turnover worthy plays a couple interceptions it wasn't just that it was you know missing some of those big play opportunities as well. Chris Olave, when he finally caught one, fumbles. Um, but Jameis finishes uh, three interceptions, sacked six times. And um, I thought I thought the Saints would start getting going in the second half like they did last week. They finally did get a fourth-quarter touchdown to, to get to 10, but just not enough, man. Just not enough. Maybe missing Alvin Kamara with some, you know, I mean, it uh, certainly doesn't dynamic help. ability yeah. out of the backfield. But that was... Impressive by the Bucks defense and ugly by the Saints offense. The Bucks defense, I think, as a takeaway, you know, has looked very good the first couple of weeks. I mean, they obviously caused Dallas all kinds of problems before and after Dak Prescott went down. Um, they caused Jameis Winston all kinds of problems, or admittedly problems that he lent into and was all too happy to help with. But yeah, Tampa Bay's defense, I think, as a takeaway, looks very good to start the season and might be a thing that helps if that offensive line and consequently the offense struggles a bit more than it has been the last couple of years yeah i'm curious to see how the offense figures it out because it feels like todd bowles has a defensive coach has his fingerprints on the defense on on the team a little bit more a little bit more conservative but the defense is playing extremely well so far for the bucks they've given up 13 points through two games they've got the packers next week bucks packers one of the games of the week next week I tweeted out who we were going to be talking about next. Yeah? I want to stick with it. I don't want to lie. Commanders and Lions. The Commanders. The Lions, the uh, the number one scoring team in the NFL, the Detroit Lions, 36-27 to 27 over the Commanders. The Lions creating big plays all over the place. Amonra St. Brown has a huge game. Jared Goff finishes with four touchdowns, no picks. Lions move up to one and one. Yeah, and this was another one of those games, sort of like last week in reverse with Detroit and Philadelphia where I don't think it was as close as it eventually got to Um, the commanders were getting stomped and then like it was what 22 nothing at the half Um, and then Washington started to come back and and Washington started hit a few chunk plays to get into it yeah yeah and didn't quite get it done Um, 
But I think the the Lions had this reasonably well in hand, despite the score getting close towards the end. Yeah, the for the second week in a row, um, at least one big play on the ground. That that offensive line, despite being down a couple of starters, a bit like the Jets, the no Frank Ragnow. Um, Vitae is obviously out for what might be the entire season. A couple of weak links in the interior. They were still able to open up some pretty significant holes. And I I think that's part because that offensive line is good. I think it's also part this Washington defensive front is still bad. And it's worse than the sum of the parts. Again, like they they don't play gap sound football. They don't they don't play sound football at all. Or in coverage. Yeah, that's Nothing. what I mean. Like yeah. they're not they're not doing the basic stuff, right? Like you can't, you can't expect people to play at you know above and beyond an insane level when you can't even make sure you're just accounting for everything. In the everyone in the right gap and everyone covering the right area generally. Like point one, are we doing all of that? The answer right now is no, and has been for a while. Yeah, I don't want to take away anything from the Lions' offense because I, I my one of my takeaways is like you know they're doing some cool stuff to create some big plays here. You know, little stuff like they came out with three tight ends had a three tight end looking set, spread it out into empty. Jared Goff hits a seam route. Like, they're creating some mismatches. They're getting guys into space. But in this game, it was kind of a combination of, hey, the Lions are doing some cool stuff offensively, and the Commanders are just terrible defensively. Their linebackers were torched. All the grades in the red there for the Commanders linebackers. Did you see who uh, Dan Campbell put up at the podium to, to kick off the postgame press conference? Yeah, the, the extra offense. The Dan extra Skipper. Back, yeah, yeah. Now, Dan... Dan lists at 6'9", 317. So he's a, he's a, a I, favorite. Yeah, I mean, I have a soft spot for him because at Arkansas, <laughs> he listed at 6'10". Oh, I see. And uh, as sure. someone who also listed at 6'10 in college, and may actually be closer to 6'9", mm. I can relate to Dan Skipper. And, you know, Dan Campbell puts Skipper up there saying, look, at this dude, he entered the league in 2017, right? Barely played any NFL football. How many snaps does he have in his career? before that he had uh not even 200 snaps previously in his career and he had never played guard i mean it's not easy playing guard at that size Mm. you know and uh he steps in 66 grade nice job in the run game dan skipper comes in so dan campbell puts him up the podium says look at this guy this dude's been battling he's a he's a grinder he's gonna kick off the press conference yeah um the other element is the, the the Lions offense left a lot of meat on the bone. Like, Jared Goff didn't play well. Jared Goff put up whatever it was, 256 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, passer rating is going to be through the roof, 122. Uh, and he didn't play well. He missed, you know, missed a touchdown early on. He just, he just misses a lot. You're like, okay, right now that's not a problem because the offense is still able to put up a ton of points, but at some point you're going to find a defense that is able to do a better job than that, and you actually need to hit some of these throws. Yeah, that's what makes me feel optimistic, though, still about the the Lions' offense is that those opportunities are going to be there. Not that their quarterback missed them, um, but that those opportunities are going to be there. Uh, Other side, you had... Carson Wentz, remember, this is the battle of the first two quarterbacks drafted. Yes. In 2016. You and, still have Wentz. And what a battle. And, and, and what a battle. Uh, Wentz, you know, still, still boom or bust. I, I, would, I would rather roll with that Wentz, though. I would, I would rather roll with boom or bust Wentz and uh, take my chances down the field if I'm the commander. Sometimes it's going to be ugly. Sometimes it's um, – I think the problem with Wentz, uh, Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks. Carson Wentz holding the ball – 
in the pocket, dropping his eyes when there's any sort of pressure and taking those negative plays. He's got to get better with that. But I know that's been that's been an issue for a few years now for Carson Wentz. Yeah, um, but also before we get off the Lions offense, we got to mention Amon Ress and Brown, who yeah, turns out is one of the best receivers in the NFL randomly. I saw somebody post from uh, Hard Knocks. Did you see the, the thing he did in Hard Knocks? No. I, I, I he was, haven't seen a minute of Hard Knocks this year. Well, this I was a clip. Catch up on that. It was a clip that showed up on uh, Twitter yesterday, I saw. And it was basically him listing, I think it was like 16 receivers mm. that were drafted ahead of him. Yeah. And he's just going through. He's like, Jalen Waddell. Uh, no, it was Jamar Chase, LSU. Jalen Waddell, Alabama. I mean, just going through all of them. And it's not like he's listing bad players. This isn't like the Brady sure. Six. No, Where right. it's like, are you kidding me? You drafted this dude over me? Giovanni Carmazzi? You yeah, know, it's not that. There's a lot of good players there, but Amonra St. Brown. Geo catching straights. Poor Geo. I mean, Amonra St. Brown is a dude, man. Yeah. 58 yarder on the ground and another buck 16 and two scores. Right. The end around for, for almost 60 as well it was a ton of yards, um, scrimmage yards. But he's, he's, got, he's one of these guys like Antonio Brown, where remember Antonio Brown had this absurd run where he put together that was like five plus catches, at least five 50 catches, plus yards yeah. in the game, a consecutive streak, all that kind of thing. Amonris and Brown is racking those up as well. Like just this incredible run of every single game, he's catching at least five balls, he's getting at least fifty yards, he's getting a touchdown, and it just keeps on trucking. Despite the fact that he's still kind of their only viable receiving weapon. Like Amonris and Brown had twelve targets in this game, caught nine of them. You look, all right, who's next? T.J. Hawkinson with seven targets, caught three passes for 26 yards. Who's next? DeAndre Swift, the running back. They, he's their only guy. Okay, every now and again, a receiver pops up with a catch and a big play and blah, blah. But this is Amonris and Brown and the run game carrying this offense, despite the fact that when you look at him, you still sort of say, okay, he's playing really well, but does he have the skill set of a true number one? I don't really know, and yet it still works. Keeps getting the job done. And... Um... Look, we all offseason we talked about maybe the, Lions, the the Lions certainly aren't done at building their group of playmakers, mm-hmm. but you do have this guy, Amonra St. Brown, as a, as a as an awesome starting point. Jameson Williams is going to return. Uh, that that can be transformative, right? I mean that that's what I'm excited about with this Lions offense. There are I, I want to see that they did it against the Eagles in Week One in a comeback attempt. They did it week two against Washington. You know, how much is Washington's defense? You know, uh, William Jackson just like falling down at the catch point on that on that one touchdown and everything. I mean, there's just some bad stuff in there. But probably exciting times here for the uh, for the Lions who get their first win of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, now back to Washington's offense. The update of how wrong was Sam? Uh, I am again not quite ready to completely declare um, defeat, but. For two weeks now, I've been impressed by Jahan Dotson. There was yeah. more separation on his tape in this game than there was in week one. You know, his touchdown in, uh, was, was a nice sort of uh, release to, to get the inside release on a guy who was playing with that kind of leverage. His deep play, he just ran straight by a corner, which is something that isn't on his tape an awful lot in college or the NFL. So, yeah, the Washington looks like they may have been right with that pick in the first round, which would be huge. And the other thing I love about this offense is they're finally tapping into the versatility with those mismatch-type players. You know, Curtis Samuel lining up in the backfield and just toasting the dude that was trying to cover him on a wheel route. Like, these are, these are important ways of stealing 
stealing an advantage schematically in addition to having good players uh i don't know if grades are finalized for this or not but wentz is going to finish with a passing grade under 60 but i think the going back to this like load up on playmakers concept they scored 27 points i know they were playing from behind a lot in the whole deal washington but even when you don't have great yeah nascar yeah even when you don't have great quarterback play having curtis samuel as your three and using him in that way terry mclaurin as you won Jahan dotson now um washington's gonna play could play some crazy games here they could play some exciting yeah. and crazy games because it'll be volatile and wentz is gonna throw passes falling all over the place and some are gonna be good and some are gonna be bad but the commanders have to do a better job and defensively and because that Washington defense, I think, is going to do this all the way in terms of bad busts, bad big plays, all those kinds of things. I think they're going to put Wentz in a situation a lot where he's going to have to drag the offense to something. You know, they're going to be chasing a lot of games, is what I'm saying. The NFL action's in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you could boost your winnings for up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, all you do, you could throw down on the stepped up same game parlays once per game all season long. So, all season long, the deal is there. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Stepped up same game parlays all season long with DraftKings. All right, let's go Jacksonville 24, Colts 0. Mm. Hey, I got this one right. I know, right? I didn't change my mind on this one. Uh, we I both took, got this we right. We both took Jacksonville. Yep. Right? I said I gave the Jags one more chance here. You did. Anyway, this is the best Trevor Lawrence has looked. Yes. In a while. The best he's looked in a while. He finishes 25 for 30. So only five incompletions, 235, two touchdowns. Uh, the best throw he had fell incomplete. The deep ball, Jamal Agnew, Jamal uh goes through his hands probably the best throw Lawrence has made in a while Mm -hmm. but this offense just did a really nice job I know that it's not that they lit up the scoreboard or anything but um, using Christian Kirk out of the backfield on the angle route for one touchdown they use Trevor Lawrence rolling left rolling right using and that's part of what has made uh, why Trevor Lawrence was such a good prospect you don't have a whole bunch of righties that you're going to roll left and um, they just did a nice job creating space it wasn't that the um throws were difficult or anything he was just in command in control and uh jags did a nice job yeah not to dump on mitchell trubisky randomly in the middle of a, a jacksonville analysis but there was a play yesterday where trubisky escaped pressure rolled to his left and almost just just had a conniption and fell over like he you know he reached there was somebody chasing him judon i think was chasing him in the open field but like you could tell it was a moment where his brain just went I'm physically incapable of doing anything here. Like, there's, I can't, there's literally no way I can contort my body and throw the ball from the angle that I'm running at towards the sideline going left. Whereas Trevor Lawrence is one of those people that can actually achieve that without just falling over. Um, I can't believe you, had, you hijacked the Jags Colts game to just make fun of Mitchell, and we I haven't mean, even gotten there yet. Just, just, just in relation to that very specific point you made. Um, yeah, look, so f- first point I think is an important one that that is the best probably we've seen from Lawrence 
maybe. You I mean, talk, there was a right? couple of the last Colts game or you know last year Bengals. Game. There's yeah, a yeah. couple of games. I, maybe one of maybe that Bengals game. It's but, bad that we can remember the two, right? And I do think that even compared with those other games, this one felt better. So this, I think, is the new high watermark for Trevor Lawrence in terms of how he looked in the NFL. Um, was in total command of the offense. Everything was actually running pretty smoothly. I think it's very encouraging. Look, they took a lot of crap, and we were amongst them dishing the crap for the contract they gave Christian Kirk, you know, the giant amount of money given how, what he, we'd seen from him so far in the NFL. They are at least intent on maximizing the value out of that. Right. You know, they're using him well. They are using him a lot. He's their leading receiver generally. Um, and he looks – he's been worth it so far. Like he got a couple of touchdowns in this game. As you said, they're using him in creative ways as well. That part is encouraging. So, yeah, I thought their offense actually did look pretty good. Jack's defense deserves a ton of credit, though, too. First shutout since that 2017 season where, you know, Jacksonville randomly assembled one of the greatest defenses the league's ever seen. Which oh, that's also, right. Which also came against the Colts, by the way, that 2017 Jacoby year. Jacoby Brissett year. Yeah. So the Jags last year, this is, this is what makes them tough to figure out. Last year, they had that one game against the Buffalo Bills where Josh Allen the took Josh Allen game. The Josh Allen game, they beat the Bills 9-6. to six. And it was like, man, there's some potential on that defense with the pass rushers and all that stuff. So I don't want to... I just want to say, like, we've seen, we've kind of seen this before, but they're doing a really nice job. They've got Arden Key, Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, um, a couple other guys. They're, they're, they're using their speed rushers, putting them all out there, creating havoc up front. Matt Ryan just looks horrendous yeah. anytime there's any kind of pressure. Which um, is happening a lot now. Yes. And, and so this has been the concern with Matt Ryan as he gets later in his career. He's playing behind some weak offensive lines in Atlanta. The Colts' offensive line has just slowly gotten depleted over these last couple of years or just kind of not where they were two, three years ago. And um, Matt Ryan, you know, the, yeah, that one interception, he's trying to throw like a ridiculously difficult deep out and just kind of flicks it up there. He doesn't have that kind of arm talent to just flick one up there and it for, you know, gets the interception. Three picks for Matt Ryan a week after he had the four turnover-worthy plays. Um, but the Jags did a really nice job up front creating havoc. Yeah, this was the kind of game that we were talking about going into it, which is, all right, Jacksonville's, they've thrown a lot of resources at the pass rush, let's call it, generally. And it's not exactly panned out. I, Josh Allen is probably the closest of those players that has sort of become what they thought he might become, I guess. And even then, you're like, I mean, not really, you know? He's become a good player. He's not a great player, which is generally what you're looking for when you're spending that kind of draft capital but when you sort of platoon the whole group when you think all right Trayvon Walker you know, it's going to be a work in progress but he's going to show up a couple of times a game with just an insane athletic play and that'll be when you add all that together it's enough that it can cause a team like the Colts real problems and that's basically exactly what happened here like Josh Allen had a really good game but it was four total pressures Trayvon Walker had three Adam Gotsis rushed the pass for seven times and got a sack and two hits. You know, that, that was the kind of day. Trayvon Walker pressure kind of got Gotsis, you know, forced Ryan to step up right. into but it. But that was the kind of day that the Jacksonville pass rush was having. Like they yeah. were able to time up or the players that were actually showing up and having a couple of pressures here or there. It was well sort of timed and, and it all worked together to the overall effect that Matt Ryan was just having a crappy day and was under a lot of pressure over the course of it yeah so man ugly for the Colts I, I didn't think 
I don't know. I, I I've, I've expressed concerns about the Colts playmakers too. Well, my, no, no Michael Pittman in this game, yes. which is huge because yeah. he's been like their only viable, you know, high end wide receiver. And even with, it was another one of those situations where even with Michael Pittman, you're like, well, oh, I'm concerned when they yeah, have Michael Pittman, but now you've not, got the lack he's of not depth. Great, and there's no viable secondary threat alongside him. No Michael Pittman in this game. You're like, well, who the hell are they throwing the ball to? Yeah, so we've seen pretty much the low end of Matt Ryan over these last couple weeks. The concern, you know, graded in the 50s from a passing standpoint. Each of the last two weeks, we'll see if he can bounce back. But that's an ugly performance yeah. for I the mean, Colts. To put that into some context, you look at their three highest targeted receivers in this game. Number one, Ashton, or tied number one, Ashton Doolin and Desmond Patman each had six targets. Number yeah. two was Naheem Hines, the third down back. I mean, that, you know... That's not going to work. Aren't we seeing already, Sam, how important the depth is? I mean, depth all across. If you have offensive line issues, you need depth there. If you have defensive line issues, you need depth there. It's it's very challenging as a team builder to go in and say, I mean, you want you want to roll eight deep at every position. I get it, but it feels like when you're when you're missing wide receivers, right? The either you you just you can't stitch that together. It's very difficult to stitch that together at receiver. Well. What it also shows is how risky the approach of, no, we're good at this position because we got one good guy is. Well, it's like, okay, what, what if you lose the guy, you know, for any period of time? This is why the Ram, like, this is why people think the Ram strategy is idiotic because the stars and scrubs approach works fine until the star gets hurt. And now what do you do? Now, the Rams have been bucking the trend injury wise for years. And whether it's sports science, whether it's just, you know, voodoo worship, whether it's blind luck, whatever it is. The Rams haven't had to experience that realization yet of, well, what happens when one of these guys goes down for a while and stars and scrubs because becomes scrubs and scrubs. Um, but that's what the Colts are dealing with in this game. Like their one good receiver became no good receivers and your offensive line is creaking and your geriatric quarterback isn't able to do what he once you did. And now you just got nothing on offense. So literally you get nothing. Zero points for you. Jacksonville blanks you and you look terrible. Like this was, it's week two. So must win games are ridiculous, but no. So since they expanded the playoffs, you know, the extra wildcard team, no teams have made the playoffs starting 0-2. None. Good news, the Colts are 0-1-1. Perfect. So they're well in the hunt. So they're okay. I don't like this 0-2 stat. I don't like the 0-2 stat. The, the Any of them or the specific one? The one like, oh, you just, you know, hardly any teams make the playoffs when they start 0-2. Yeah, because the number was bad anyway, but now since they've expanded it, it's zero. No teams have what? No teams have made the postseason since they expanded the, wild, the number of wild cards starting 0-2. You mean last year? They expanded it last year. There's, we've had two years, haven't we? Two years. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. No. You're using a two... I'm using a two-year sample, two year size, sample size Zero teams. Yeah. You check it out. It's mathematically sound. Yeah. And, and never in a 17-game schedule. Exactly. team do that. Mm-hmm. So, it's over. Mm-hmm. Except the Colts are 0-1. It's like NFL media's favorite week two talking point. Like, don't fall 0-2. You can't do it. You can't fall to 0-2. Yeah. Can't do it. That's, uh-huh. that's what the problem is. You should coach to not be 0-2. Because it, it's insurmountable. Costs. Mm-hmm. You do whatever you can to win. Mm-hmm. 0-2 teams don't make the playoffs because 0-2 teams are usually not good. <laughs> uh, not because it's an insurmountable hole. The other thing from this game, again, the, the Stars and Scrubs approach not working out when the Star isn't there. No Shaquille Leonard on defense, again, because he's still injured. 
and without Shaquille Leonard, the defense isn't it just isn't good. <laughs> like all of a sudden, everything falls apart for the Colts if you lose one of your good players on either side of the ball. That's essentially what I'm saying here. All right, let's go. New England Patriots 17, Pittsburgh Steelers 14. Both teams now one and one. Uh, we, you know, I think at least we expected a defensive struggle, offensive struggle. What the heck was this? The difference in this game, if you had told me that the difference in this game was going to be Nelson Aguilar mossing mm-hmm. a cornerback for a 44-yard touchdown, I'd say that doesn't happen. Nelson Aguilar doesn't do that. He doesn't. But he did. He did in this game. Jump ball, essentially. And uh, Aguilar goes up and gets it. And that, that proves to be Mac Jones' only touchdown. And, and a, big, a big difference in the game. The Patriots' run game did a really nice job down the stretch to seal this game against Pittsburgh. Um, Steelers, obviously, without tj watt here yeah and uh tough tough getting pressure on the quarterback without him Aguilar is a very strange player to me um well yeah i really liked him coming out that that year in the draft uh and then when he had his first good year in the nfl it was in a completely different role than the way he played in college like in college he was more of a deep threat than anything else and then he became this sort of horizontal slot high volume guy for the eagles in the one good year that he had and then the good years weren't particularly consistent and then all of a sudden it's like huh, he's becoming that really good deep threat again but even when he was a deep threat in college he wasn't mossing people it was like i'm going to run by you and i'm going to catch those you know in stride type of thing he's just it's he's a very unusual player and there's almost nothing consistent about how he's good when he is good and that doesn't roll around all, all that often. Um, I don't even I don't even have a more specific point than that, other than he confuses me as no, a player. He, he's a weird player. Like, uh, the way I described him, was he been in the league five years? He's one of those guys that's had two out of five years that yeah. have been really good and, and in completely different roles. Well, you're right. One of the most unlikely things to have happened this weekend in the weekend of all-time unlikely things is Aguilar going up and absolutely mossing Akella Witherspoon for a, a big play. Um, so this was, I think, the takeaway of this game and this, I don't want to be like, hey, we were right again, but we got this one right. Like, when you break it all down, yeah. I'm not even talking about, like, the, the score, but this was how we described it, which is when you, when you boil all this down, what this game was was two mediocre sides slapping each other in the face and hoping one of them fell over. You know what I mean? Like us at the Tortilla Challenge. Exactly. And it's like nothing here is good. It's all just like, eh. I mean, one of these teams has to win eventually, right? Like, it has to end at some point. And, you know, the Patriots ended up being the team. But it, what typified it to me was the sort of sequence that determined the outcome of this game, which is Mac Jones throws a horrible, interceptable pass that should have been picked off, should have cost them, a, uh, uh, should have cost them the ball, didn't get punished for it, dropped interception. They were up 10-6 at that, at that point. So like, all right, Mac Jones turns the ball over there. The Steelers are rolling. They can take the lead. Maybe they win the game. Almost immediately, the Patriots punt the ball away. Gunnar Olszewski, former New England great, lets it clang off his face, muffs the ball away. Patriots recover. They're now set up at the 10. They then end up scoring, um, touchdown right away, and all of a sudden what should have been giving the ball to the Steelers in pretty good field position ends up being a score in your favor, putting you kind of at a distance in a game where the Steelers' offense wasn't exactly going to roll and punish you for it. Special teams matter sometimes. Well, certainly catching the ball with your face matters. It matters, I mean, it matters just when it's bad. Yeah. It matters when it's disastrous. 
So yeah, Patriots win 17 to 14. Defense uh, down the stretch there. There was a there was a key player, Matthew Judon. I do love when edge rushers have to peel into coverage and make good I plays. Saw that. Yeah. Matthew Judon uh, covers Najee Harris out of the backfield, and uh, it was it was underthrown. I mean, Trubisky missed the throw. There was a better throw to be made there, but Judon running with Najee Harris breaking up the pass, and that was pretty much it for the Steelers. You know, Trubisky still doesn't throw the ball down the field very much or or enough yeah I mean, how much offense of, is just like somebody 5.1 yards per attempt again for uh, trubisky yeah something needs to change in that offense in terms of just what they're doing um they was, should have good playmakers it was at least better than last week where his time to throw was two seconds you know yeah. but yeah they they need to get more aggressive they need to you can't just continue every bad disadvantageous down and distance situation it's like a dump off to the running back still we were all putting that down to roethlisberger the last couple of years evidently it's more systemic than maybe that. maybe big ben was right maybe it is the uh the offensive system there but yes when you have those i understand teams that are depleted at receiver and they are just you know just trying to get by Right, they're yeah, just trying to get by the Steelers. The Steelers have Deontay Johnson, who they just paid. They have Chase Claypool, who will pull out some freak plays. They have George Pickens. They have Najee coming out of the backfield. They have Pat Fryermuth. They've got playmakers, man. Yeah. They're all healthy too. Deontay Johnson had a couple of insane catches in that game, and a couple of more insane almost catches. Right, you know, he he could have had a monster day. So, I said this with Big Ben last year. I said if the Steelers are going to get the most out of him. He might be inconsistent throwing the ball down the field, but just let him do it. Like, just let him chuck it, and it could you'll have some ugly performances, but let those guys make some plays. I think the Steelers have to do that with Trubisky, too. Just chuck it up, man. Chuck it up. Let those guys make plays. I know it's not fun offense necessarily, but you got to let them play. Um, Minka had another great game. He did. Which is, I mean, I don't know if he does this, like if he manages to time – Remember, like, the, the was it the first couple of games he played for the Steelers where he had, like, back-to-back 90 grades? It's like, oh, wow, the Steelers just signed the best player in the history of the game. What a steal. Miami are idiots. They were just using him wrong the whole time. And then, like, that Minka kind of went away, and you just got the standard baseline for the rest of the time. He seems to time up the ability to, to repeat back-to-back games when he's going to play out of his mind. You know, just enough to keep the narrative going that he's, like, the best safety in the game. And then we'll go back to, like, usual standard play. I mean, safety is a weird position like that anyway. It's tough to make that big of an impact. But at this at, last year at this time, Minka was missing tackles, busting coverages, uh, allowing some big plays, even though he'll, he'll have some of those splash plays. And now he's not doing that. Um, Mac Jones kind of looked like crap again. That's not good if you're the Patriots offense. You know, the yeah. Mac Jones year two, can we take a step forward? Can we really show the high end? And he's going backwards. Yeah, another, you know, they scored the 17, including, like you said, the kind of a gimme, uh, you know, getting the the good field position there. Should have had two picks, had the one, um, as you mentioned. It is, it's a weird offense where it's a lot of underneath stuff. And then they, you know, like last week, a random deep ball to Kendrick Bourne. This this week, the, the jump ball to Nelson Aguilar. It is disjointed offensively for New England, yeah. for sure. So they've, um, I, but Cole Strange playing well up front and the offensive mm-hmm. line did a nice job at the end to seal the deal when they needed to they're picking up you know six yards seven yards right they they did a nice job on the ground when they when they needed to seal the deal but this offense i mean the the pass game has to be 
more consistent. Their offensive line is very good. It didn't grade well, certainly from a run-blocking perspective in week one, but it's a better unit than that. Like, we know that already from previous experience of this line. But, yeah, Cole Strange, the most maligned and mocked first-round pick of the draft, was going one-on-one with uh, Cameron Hayward for most of this game. And, okay, it ended up with him being handed, like, what's going to end up being a reasonably low pass-blocking grade. But considering that opposition he did very well he was one-on-one with him a lot and held up held up fine i mean cameron hayward has wrecked significantly better offensive linemen than that over the years one-on-one so to him for him to end up doing as well as he did i think is impressive our newest sponsor is revolutioning revolutionizing man i can't read no The world of sports betting and fan engagement by making sports fandom profitable that company is symbol the stock market for sports teams. Symbol was a PFF sponsor last year, and they're back for this football season. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give you a platform where you can buy and sell sports teams and profit from your sports knowledge. This is perfect. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code PFF to receive a free team stock valued up to $150 upon signing up. Whether you want to invest in an up-and-coming team like the Chargers, the GOAT in Tom Brady and the Bucks, or the new top dog in the Buffalo Bills, Symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks based on who you think is going to be on the rise. Create a free account, enter code PFF to get a free stock valued up to $150 and start making money off your sports knowledge right now. S-I-M-B-U-L-L, Symbol, iOS App Store. All right, what else do we have in the 1 o'clock slate here? Giants 19, Carolina Panthers 16. Giants moved to 2-0, man. Yeah. I think we both got this one wrong. Yeah. Are you ready to, ready to crown the Giants? No, but I'm done on Baker. I'm out. I'm out. That was it. That was his opportunity. I gave him that week. I said that was going to be pissed off baker wasn't you know, too much pressure but no pressure was what we we're going to see baker show up and just this absolutely it. annihilate the giants didn't happen i'm out i'm done oh man that's the end of my rope that's it that, that right there it's the straw that broke the camel's back i'm out baker finishes 14 of 29 yeah for a buck 45 mm-hmm. five yards single per not a single big time throw in there had the um had the opportunity for another comeback attempt uh-huh this is where i've struggled with baker the last few years that even when he was playing well when it got to crunch time hey here's a two-minute drill go win the game invariably just crapped out and and you've got wink martindale on the other side you know he's going to bring the house you know you got to be prepared for the blitz you got to be prepared for free rushers and you get that in crunch time and baker's dropping his eyes and looking at the rush and the whole deal and it wasn't it wasn't good no it was bad and um you know christian mccaffrey doing what he can Creating some, uh, creating at least one big play, 49 yarder in there. Ran the ball pretty well, but just not good by the Panthers. And you got to give the Giants credit, man. They snuck that first one against the Titans, took advantage of this one. Every year there's a 2 0 team, or last year was the Panthers, a 3 0 team that you're like, all right, you know, credit, mm. tip of the cap through a couple weeks. But you might question if they're for real, if they can keep it up. Well, last year at least... The Giants have to be in that bucket right now. I mean, last year, the 3-0 Panthers, there were people that did think they were for real, including, by the way, within the building, you know? Yeah. There were significant members of the Panthers organization that seemed to think they were for real at 3-0. And there were other people that were saying, guys, no, not really. Like, let's chill for a minute. Um, 
I don't think anybody really thinks the Giants are for real, including the Giants. You know, they're 2-0. and Kudos. Well done. You know, polite round of applause. But, it, you know, we're, we're not. Nobody's getting carried away here, including the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones is going to average. What did he end up with grade-wise? He's got a 50. Okay. Uh, actually, sorry. No plays. I know you just. I, the, he 55, threw one. 54. I know our listeners hate when the quarterback completely misreads the curl flat defender and just throws it right to him. That's one of the worst. That's what he has. It's week two, and he might have the worst throw of the year already in the bag. He stared down a linebacker in the flat and then threw him the ball. You know, it's one of those ones where you're like, how come you don't really, how come you can't see the linebacker that's right in front of you? And I think there's, there's a degree of sort of, not even excuse, but I think it's different when you're, the, the, the difference in vertical depth between the linebacker that's right in your way and the dude you're trying to aim at I think determines how how easy it is to see that guy. So if you're looking at somebody 15 yards behind that linebacker, I think it's easier not to see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because your brain's just focusing on a different depth area 15 yards away, and the sort of the thing in front is acts as just a peripheral vision thing. But the closer that linebacker is to the guy you're trying to throw at, the less excusable it is to have not seen him. And Daniel Jones is just like looking out to the flat right at Frankie Louvu, and it's just like, nah, heave it. Throws it right to Louvu, drops the ball. And it, incomplete pass by the box score. He got one a, of the worst throws you're going to see this year. He got away with that one for sure. Um, to be fair, the leading receiver, do you know who the leading receiver is on the Giants through two weeks? I don't. I know it isn't Kenny Galladay. It's not Kenny Galladay. What have you got? Richie James. Yeah. Remember, he was a pretty pretty cool player at Middle Tennessee State like five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. I mean, this he's throwing to Richie James, uh, Tanner Hudson at tight end. Daniel Bellinger had a really nice uh, catch and run yesterday, rookie yeah. tight end for, for a touchdown. But it's not really the best group of playmakers as far as pass catchers go, but they're surviving so far in New York. Sterling Shepard is out there, Saquon Barkley still. Um, he wasn't as explosive as he was in week one. But, you know, credit the Giants for uh, – for getting to 2-0 and through two weeks here. I don't understand how... Why can't they assemble the what looks like a pretty good group of playmakers on paper? Why can't they be on the field at the same time ever? I don't know. I mean, on, Gall- again, on Kenny, paper, it's it looks good. Kenny Galladay had two snaps. Two receiving snaps, sorry. Uh, Kadarius Toney had 17. Like, what, what are we doing here? The, yeah. In addition to Daniel Jones having the worst throw of the season, and I don't mean the worst throw of the two-week season. I mean, the worst throw of the year that will stand for 17 games. Uh, there was that play where David Sills had a first down. Oh, I wanna, about, yeah. Throwing to David three Sills. yards, well. and then somehow conspired not to have a first down at the end of the play. Steven Ruiz, where does he work? The ringer now? Steven Ruiz had the picture. He was like, this did not end in a first down, and there was no fumble, you know, because he was a good two yards over the first down line. And then just proceeded to run backwards instead of taking the first down. I usually just say for our uh, media colleagues, he works for the ringer or the athletic. Yeah. I usually just say both because I'm not sure which. Uh-huh. Because I, I question myself every single time. Are they, is that athletic? Is that ringer? Like Austin Gale. He's either the ringer or the athletic. The late Austin Gale. The late Austin Gale. Rest in peace. So 1916. I don't have much else on this game. No. Giants are 2-0. And now they're headed for Monday Night Football against the Cowboys. The 2-0 Giants. First place Giants. Against Cooper Rush. Against Cooper Rush. Daniel Jones, Cooper Rush. Monday Night Football next week. The Micah Parsons Show, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Maybe next. 
Mike oh. Parsons against Evan Neal isn't going to go well. Evan Neal off to a slow start, but most rookie tackles, most rookie tackles are. Um, but, you know, credit the Giants. Let's go to that game next then. Let's do it now. Micah Parsons. See the MVP through two weeks. He's incredible. Uh, Dallas wins 20-17 to 17 against the Bengals. We talked about Miles Garrett having, you know, game-changing performances in both the first two weeks and how he's just absolutely dominated the guy that he's gone up against. And yet Miles Garrett is trailing in the wake of Micah Parsons in Defensive Player of the Year, you know, standing right now. Micah Parsons is just wrecking house, and he's doing it against good players, largely. Like, he made... Donovan Smith has turned into a good left tackle. He gave Donovan Smith, like, a five pass blocking grade before sending him out of the game injured. You know what I mean? Like, Donovan Smith didn't get injured with... It wasn't an unforced error. He didn't just, like, randomly trip over and wreck his arm. He got barreled into a, a mound of bodies because Micah Parsons put him in a blender on that particular play. Um, and he was doing it this this week to Lyle Collins. like, And then he, he got bored with whooping Lyle Collins, moved to the other side of the line and started whooping Jonah Williams as well. He is just destroying people right now. Yeah, I mean, is Micah Parsons the best pure edge rusher since Vaughn Miller, since Khalil Mack? I mean, those guys in their absolute prime. I mean, Vaughn Miller was probably a tick better than Khalil Mack as a pure pass rusher. So Mack is a run defender. But Parsons has to like it has to be right up there with those. And guys. this might be the start of seeing him deployed as a full time edge rusher. I think he had three linebackers right. snaps yesterday. And the la- week one it was like twenty. Yeah. So at the start of the year, the question was, how are they going to deploy him, and are they actually going to end up sort of costing him opportunity by maintaining this pretense that he's an off the ball linebacker who happens to moonlight as the best pass rusher in the NFL? This week. It was like they went, you know what, to hell with it. He's an edge rusher. Like, let's stop screwing around with this. He's an edge rusher. Let's Any any snaps where he's not rushing the passer on the edge, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot for no good reason. We may have drafted him with visions of this off-the-ball linebacker thing, but no, forget it. We got it wrong. He's an edge rusher. Let's lean into that. That's what we saw this week. And if that continues now, if that's what he is from this point going forward, now we've got something because now – now he can dedicate all his time to that. Now we can see what happens when he's concentrating on nothing other than being an edge rusher. And I'm going to maintain this line that I've been using since last year. Very early in his career, he was getting compar- <clears throat> comparisons to Lawrence Taylor, and they weren't crazy. That's the yeah. thing. Normally, I mean, that happens with any guy, any rookie playing out of his mind very early on. You get stupid comparisons to Hall of Fame players, and you're like, come on, like let's... Let's not get carried away here. That's getting a bit silly. Micah Parsons was getting comps to Lawrence Taylor very early, and they weren't nuts. Like, when you look at how Lawrence Taylor came in, just absolutely shocked the world and was playing at a different level of intensity and violence and uh, physicality than the people that were trying to block him, that's what Micah Parsons looks like right now. It's not like these guys haven't seen elite pass rushers before, but he looks like he's playing at a lower level of football. When... When you watch people in high school or people you know, in, in foreign leagues where there's a giant talent disparity, the people that are really good tend to play the game at a different level of physicality and it surprises everybody else because you're just not used to people coming and hitting you with that level of you know, aggression and violence. Michael Parsons plays like that, except it's in the freaking NFL. That's not supposed to happen. 
No, through uh, through two weeks, ninety two point one pass rushing grade. Miles Garrett is just above him at ninety two point eight. You mentioned though, Miles Garrett. He's gone up against some overmatched tackles yeah. through two weeks. So we're not necessarily adjusting the grades for competition. We're adding context to what the grades are. Here's my thing with Parsons, though. When he was left one-on-one, and again, I just I want to rehash. Leonard Fournette popped him as a chipper in week one. It doesn't matter. I like that Parsons er- is earning those double teams. He is at this point, much like Aaron Donald, if you leave him one-on-one, he yeah. will win, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 pass rush win rate, you'll see these numbers floating around ESPNs and our win rate and all that stuff. The best edge rushers win about 25, 20 to 25% of the time, right? Just pure wins because there's there's a lot of plays where you know, the ball's out quick, whatever it might be. So it's higher than that if you, if you parse it down into like straight dropbacks and the whole thing. But Parsons is really at the point where he's going to at least do something if you leave him one-on-one, either straight win to the outside uh, or push the pocket or whatever it might be. And he's cleaned up with four sacks. That's the other thing, too. Like, sacks are sometimes overrated. We say don't just look at sack totals. But with Parsons, he is he is winning cleanly and then finishing immediately. His, right? His sacks are not overrated so far this year. When you leave him one-on-one, he's going to create a negative play. His burst and acceleration to the quarterback after he makes the play is insane. And that's, again, it's very Lawrence Taylor-like. When, when that guy won, he was arriving at the quarterback with mean intentions. And, like, you watch, like, the highlight reel of Lawrence Taylor and the impacts he's making on quarterbacks are some of the most painful-looking hits I've ever seen in the NFL. Um because he's a, like somehow the acceleration he has between beating the offensive lineman and getting to the quarterback is out of this world. Micah Parsons is at the same level. Like he, remember the the forty time that he had, and he's gone in those you know NFL fastest man races. I think he won the one they had, right? The whatever that fake race thing was. Um, like he's he's an elite level speed and acceleration athlete who happens to be the size that he is. And when he beats an offensive lineman and gets like five, seven yards to run to hit the quarterback, he's arriving with some serious inertia attached to him. And that, that's going to hurt. So here's, here's why this was you know, so important. You have Joe Burrow on the other side with, with Cincinnati. And we know the offensive line narrative. But now we're two weeks in. He's been sacked 13 times in two games, six times yesterday. How much is on Joe Burrow? And, and at the end of the game, we saw that the Bucks in week one kind of had to adjust their game plan, right? They had to have an extra chipper. They had to get rid of the ball quickly. The Bengals, in crunch time, where you have Joe Burrow, a, a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback, and they're kind of afraid to throw the ball down the field. Yeah. They're afraid to have him hold the ball. They, had, they felt like they had to get the ball out of his hands. Micah Parsons was affecting the game even when he wasn't yeah creating pressure and that is that is the the lawrence taylor comparison and the aaron don like that is the the game changing performance that uh that a micah parsons has this was a it was a very tough game in terms of trying to analyze what's wrong with that bengals pass blocking dynamic because i joe burrow's average time to throw was like two and a half seconds it wasn't egregious it's not like we were talking about a guy who was holding onto the ball forever and inviting pressure and those kinds of things it was and the pass protection didn't necessarily grade that badly. Um, Lyle Collins is going to end up with a pretty rough grade, and he was the guy primarily getting killed by Micah Parsons. But it was like when the pressure came, it was really fast. And then there were other occasions where Burrow was was clearly affected by that. I mean, they gave up quite a lot of pressure, and 
it started to get to Burrow where he starts dancing around the pocket and trying, you know, expecting it and those kinds of things. But the, the pressure when it came was so insanely disruptive and there was just no way out for Burrow. And it ended up resulting in a sack almost every time. And then those are just killing drives and the whole thing is spiraling out of control. Yeah, they got to figure something out. But for the, first, for the first two weeks, I think we've seen a situation where even though they have, I think they have upgraded on the offensive line. In oh, yeah. It's three spots. Um, but we said all along that they didn't necessarily get good. They just got not terrible. Yeah. They did what we expect, what we've preached for a long time, which is creep back toward average. The problem, the only problem with that strategy is that if that succeeds and you end up with an average offensive line, particularly if you do it the way they have, which is it's literally five average guys in theory. If you run up against some Micah Parsons, you're dead because five average guys can't block Micah Parsons. I mean, how much is it, is it that and how much is it last year? Or TJ Watt, by the way, which was the point I was TJ, making, yeah. which is like week one and week two, they've gone up against guys that cannot right. be blocked by five average dudes. How much is it just the way the Bengals offense was so, so predicated on the big plays last year? Um, how impressed we were with Jamar Chase. Like, when, when they needed a play, mm-hmm. wow, how's he getting behind the defense? And then, oh, by the way, Jamar Chase can now take a slant to the house. Um, we didn't know that he necessarily had that in the bag, but he can. And, and even though they have, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, who should be a couple good high-end possession receivers, right? They should be really good compliments to Jamar Chase. Let Jamar Chase... Because um, Chase doesn't have to be a high-volume guy. He doesn't have to be Justin Jefferson or Devontae Adams getting 15 to 20 targets. He could, but you, you, you have the ability to spread the wealth. The Bengals need to figure that out, and they need to figure out the short and the, inter, in the inter, intermediate game when the explosives aren't there. Um, and they've been inconsistent these first two weeks. When Because the, the, there was many games last year where it's like, the Bengals' offense didn't make sense other than Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase just made a couple special plays. And when you rely on that, it becomes boom or bust. And so yeah. far, it's bust. I mean, isn't that what we were saying again heading into the season, which is, okay, remember what they did last year. It was It was those big plays. It was explosive plays. If you looked at just where their offense ranked in a bunch of other statistical categories, it was middle of the pack. It wasn't yeah. even good. But they had Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, and they made some insane plays at key moments. You know, like Kansas City, third and 27. If third and 27 doesn't happen, we're not talking about the Bengals being this insane Super Bowl unstoppable force. All of a sudden, those plays aren't there anymore. And they might come back, right? But the, what we're, we've gone from the high end of variance to the bottom end of variance for the first two weeks. And maybe that is the difference of trying to block a Michael Parsons or a TJ Watt. But for the moment, the explosive big plays that were the thing that carried this offense last year are simply not even there anymore. And now you've gone from an offense that was average, or you've gone from a situation that was average as a baseline to now it's below average because you don't have the big plays and they're just kind of getting their ass kicked. And now they, <laughs> they get out by Cooper Rush. Part of the reason why we don't overreact is the Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year in a year where we were talking about these issues, right? They had a terrible game where they lost to the Jets and they had other games where they were just... They looked horrible. It looked like they were throwing the season away, but they bounced back. So I'm, I'm not ready to, to give up on the Bengals because I still believe in Joe Burrow as a quarterback. I think uh, Jamar Chase is a receiver. They, they're still extremely talented. But this offense has to get rid of the nothing plays. There are too many runs to nowhere, too many negative plays, the sacks. There needs to be better rhythm with Burrow, the short, intermediate game, and then let Chase 
create down the field when needed, right? Um, other reasons to not overreact. Jamar Chase literally scored a touchdown last week that was just not challenged. Yeah. And it wasn't – I mean, that's part – that's on the Bengals. They didn't challenge it. There's also they, an inch away from another one. Yeah. I mean, they, so it is an absolute fine line that has the Bengals at 0-2. Yeah. There's all, but there's also massive concerns for the way the offense is playing. And what Joe Burrow just can't – he can't take all these hits. He has to play differently. He defended his way of playing last year. Yeah. And, and – and I, to me, that there's that's a little bit of a warning sign, well, it, right? Because I don't think I don't think he's Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, um, or whatever, whichever elusive, whichever quarterback can handle getting sacked four to five times a game, right? Those guys have done it throughout their career because it does complement their playing style. Joe Burrow's not this outside of structure magician. He's got a couple good plays, but not like a Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or a Mahomes. And Mahomes doesn't get sacked; he just creates the plays. That shouldn't be Burrow's playing style. He should be the guy that's kind of that's picking you apart, and then every now and again he'll he'll create out of structure when needed. Well, I also I, he made a lot of sense when he defended that way that methodology of playing and the reason that he takes more sacks and blah blah blah. But it is one of those arguments where it kind of you have to make that argument from a position of strength, which to his credit he was. You know he was coming off the season where he just went to the Super Bowl and everything was working and the big plays and blah blah blah. But now that argument starts to look dumb. It's like when Arthur uh, Smith came out of the game yesterday and was asked, you know, why did Kyle Pitts barely feature in the game? He's like, hey, this isn't fantasy football. We're trying to win games here. To which the obvious comeback is, okay, and the result of the game was? You know? It's like you can't – that argument doesn't work if you lose. You know? That argument only works if you win. So for Burrow, you can only kind of make that argument of, hey – this is how I play the game. I'm gonna make, you know, I'm gonna make these plays and I'm gonna lean into this methodology because, you know, if I if I just take if I just throw the ball away, we have to punt anyway, and it's bad. Like, okay, but you lost. Like you just you lost to Cooper Rush. So, all right, you got, you lost to Cooper Rush and you got sacked six times, and the obvious problem was those sacks. So you now need to start thinking, all right, that that's not working. I need to change this. Somebody, by the way, I did. I think I can't even remember who came up with this, but we've had debate. Over the, over the time Joe Burrow has been in the NFL, does he officially qualify as a ginger or is he just the most Ooh. ginger-looking, brown-haired person you've ever seen in your life? I could argue in this game that he was simply exposed by a true ginger in Cooper Rush. Yeah. And therefore, his powers went away and Cooper Rush got all the juice. Pretty sure Cooper stole all the ginger talent in his one start. Was it Halloween last year? In Minnesota, yeah. Yeah. Because I think Darnold probably imploded that day and Wentz imploded, whatever it was, and, and Cooper Rush stole all of it. Uh-huh. I mean, Cooper Rush is now the greatest fourth-quarter comeback quarterback in NFL history. He's two for two, 100% uh, fourth-quarter comeback rate in his, in his career, Cooper that's, Rush. That's a good percentage. Um, I know Phil Simms said, oh, you know, Cooper Rush is as good as Dak. And uh, everybody dunked on him. I mean, in 2022, so far, it's true. So far, he has been. Yeah. Um, so the nuance I'll bring to the table. I don't agree that Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. Okay. I will say in week two, the Dallas offense looked a little bit better <laughs> this week than they did last week. Um, he unlocked, Cooper Rush unlocked Noah Brown, former Ohio State top recruit here. Five catches, 91 yards and a score. C.D. Lamb had seven catches. Um, I thought Tony Romo kind of described Rush pretty well where he's been, he had some pretty good moments in his game last year against the Vikings and in this game, kind of disappeared for a bit. And then, oh, by the way, let's just make a few throws down the stretch and get in the field goal range. So, you know, credit the Cowboys. And I think 
But I think having a Micah Parsons, a dude on that side, is is going to keep the Cowboys in games. I mean, yeah, we, we're reaching the point now where the hyperbole surrounding Micah Parsons might not be able to go high enough. You know, we're already reaching the point where if you say he's the best edge rusher in the NFL, people are like, well, yeah. You know, it's not controversial anymore. Like, he's reaching that Aaron Donald plane of there's almost nothing you can say that's so insane that people take a step back from it. The only thing that's stopping me saying he's the best pass rusher in the NFL is the fact that Aaron Donald exists. And Donald is that guy. I'm sorry, but he just is, even if he's a different position and an interior guy rather than edge rusher. But if you limit it to edge rushers, and remember, this edge rusher encompasses position a position group that includes Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, you know, amongst others. There are a lot of very good edge rushers in the NFL right now, and it isn't nuts to say that Micah Parsons is the best of them. After a year of which 40% of his time has been spent as an off-the-ball linebacker. Yeah, I think we, we can officially move him to edge probably in our uh, season positions. I think we will. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll have to do that. Cowboys 20, Bengals 17. Bengals move to 0-2. Cowboys to one and one let's go um let's touch on the rams quickly here 31 27 rams over the not quickly but you know give them their love uh rams 31 falcons 27 the falcons with the backdoor cover here yes blocked punt for a touchdown and then came all the way back the falcons so close they were down 28 to 3 they almost made it back they were down 28 to 3 right yeah they almost they almost exercised the demons that would have salvaged everything Oh, yeah, that would have been exactly the same as a Super Bowl win. Matthew Stafford having the weirdest season. I, I don't – what's his incompletion total now? Like 15, and five of them are interceptions so far. Terrible. And there could have been more in there. Stafford is – the Rams offense is doing a great job. I mean, I know Cooper Cup has a fumble at the end to help let the Falcons back into the game. But they are still creating way yeah, – Cooper Cup being awesome, schematically just getting Cooper Cup into space – I mean, there there are just a lot of completions to be had right now in this Rams offense. And, and it's like Stafford, he's taking them, he's taking them, he's taking them. And every now and again, it's like, I got to make a play, I got to make a play. And those are turning into the interceptions right now. They can come back to bite. Um, they didn't come back to bite necessarily yesterday, but, you know, let the Falcons back into the game. Yeah. His adjusted completion rate in this game was like 80%, but he had three turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, that was kind of his Bills game. It was a lot of underneath stuff, underneath stuff, and then... Um, did you see the Stafford sidearm pass that snuck through too? No. I mean, it was it was dropped in the end zone. I think it was Tyler Higby, but he threw the ball almost underhand, not like a Mahomes underhand, but like low yeah. arm slot around a defender, probably from the three yard line, and it snuck in as like a low pass that got it was it was awesome. I mean, I love I love watching Stafford play, but yeah, he's got to stop throwing the ball to the defense. I yeah, we've said that. We've said that a little bit. <laughs> we said that for his entire NFL career. But the game got sealed. Marcus Mariota had to take a shot, throws it up. I thought Brian Edwards would. They, they went to him too early. You got to get to overtime before. It, it was the fourth quarter, though. I, no, I no, no. It's the auto. stats. Overtime TO. Oh, okay. I got you. You got to wait till you get to overtime before you employ Brian Edwards. Yeah. Otherwise, you're asking for problems. Jalen Ramsey picked it off to seal the deal for the Rams. a great pick. That's the best play Jalen Ramsey's made in a long time. Yeah, went up and got it. Looked good. Kyle Pitts, that was the question you said for Arthur Smith. Why is he not getting any targets? He only had three. Three targets. Drake London, the rookie, 11 targets, eight catches. London looked good. Had a two-point conversion in there, right? I mean, Drake London looked good. He's looking good. Yeah. 
Um, that's why the Falcons, they do have an intriguing group of pass catchers when you throw Kyle Pitts in there, but he has just not been targeted to this point. And by the way, this is, it looks, I mean, you know, week two, but this looks like it's another year where we're going to get a good crop of rookie receivers. I mean, Drake London looks very good. Garrett Wilson looks very good. We're, Chris Olave, I think, is going to be good. This, I think, is another group where you're going to look at it at the end of it and be like, there's a lot of receivers Johan, that came Johan out of this Dotson, yeah. <clears throat> and looked very impressive. Yes, more good receivers entering the NFL. Um, and immediate translations, you know, not like, hey, we're going to wait two or three years to see if this guy's any good. It's like, no, we're, we're seeing immediately that these guys can still play. Um, so, yeah, the Rams are up 28-3. to three. The Falcons snuck back into the game. Disappointing. Game. Arthur Smith is saying, hey, we're trying to win. We're not trying to win fantasy. I mm-hmm. mean, again, I'm, I'm pretty much anti-Twitter dunking, and I just saw a lot of dunking on that quote. I get what he's saying. Yeah. He's like, I'm not – so on, on one hand, it's like I'm not specifically trying to feed this one player. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the guy was drafted number four overall at tight end. At the, the, the position's called tight end even if he plays wide receiver. And if you believe in him, if he, he, is a, he is a very good playmaker. He had a really nice rookie season, and this is usually when you take that next step for guys that are called tight ends, even if they play receiver. I would find more ways to get the ball to Kyle Pitts. Not that you have to get rid of, not that you have to completely change your scheme or anything like that, but you have Drake London now. There's potential if you feed Pitts a little bit more. Yeah. But I get the quote. I get it. But also, he's he's been, I mean, he's, testy with the media in the, in the first he couple has weeks already yeah. and it's like again if you're gonna be like that you kind of have to make sure that the things you're saying are airtight and can't be immediately countered with okay but you didn't win was he saying that they got buried that you guys buried us back in may or whatever it was to the media yeah we got them they're rolling too yeah but they've been feisty <laughs> not as feisty as the texans yeah the texans are very feisty let's go to the texans Denver Broncos 16, Houston Texans 9. Texans are feisty. 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 Feisty pass rush and everything. So what I wanted to do, there's a lot of booze in Denver. Yeah. There's a lot of booze in Denver. And Uh what I wanted to do, because, again, I I, I hate Twitter. I hate it, but I'm on there, right? I hate it. And and everybody's, like, reporting. um, Russell Wilson's getting booed. Yeah. The Denver Broncos are getting booed. Nathaniel Hackett's getting booed. What I really wanted to do is interview... Broncos fans after the game and say where are your boos directed because we don't know how can you add commentary to to survey the entire crowd on the way out yes I wanted to survey the crowd and say who are you directing the boos at because I don't like I think that is misinformation if you go to Twitter and you say Russell Wilson's getting booed okay yeah that's misinformation (laughs) if you say fake news the Broncos offense is getting booed that that kind of encapsulates it if you say Nathaniel Hackett's getting booed you could you know infer a little bit but you don't know for sure yeah unless you interview and talk to broncos fans here's the thing i don't think it was russ getting booed but this offense was getting booed because they couldn't put it into the end zone i mean i'm willing to stipulate that 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 it's not russell wilson as the direction of the ire at the moment i will say though that the general situation the general status of the denver offense is is sinking further and further into farce and this game was there was some horrific stuff happening in this game I have never seen this before, but the home crowd was chanting down the play clock late in the game so that Denver didn't delay of game again. Yeah. As soon as it hit 10, the crowd is going, 10, 9, eight, just so they didn't, they didn't screw it up. That's insane. Now, look, it's actually helpful 
You know, it's I mean, well done, like for a, for a spontaneous collection of thousands of people to collectively come to that as a solution to the problem here. That's which be is, a thing is actually really impressive for a, you know, a humanitarian achievement. That's actually quite laudable. But I, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen that before, where the crowd is trying to stop the offense delay of gaming by chanting down the play clock as it counts down. And the fact that that needed to happen is mind-blowing. When you look at some of the stuff that happened in this game, it's so bad. And it's stuff that, like, okay, it's very hard to figure out exactly what and what the coach does and does not have direct individual responsibility for in terms of the product on the field. I mean, ultimately, he's responsible for all of it because he's the head coach. But, like, you know, sometimes a coach gets screwed by things that are happening that aren't really his fault, but he's going to take the fall for it because he's the coach. But some of the things that are happening in Denver are very, you know, coachy. It's like, why, why, is this, why are you giving away so many ridiculous penalties? Why is there a seemingly confusion about whether you're going to kick a field goal or not? So third and one, okay? We're third and short. This is a fairly standard protocol in the NFL. What are we going to do? Well, one of the things you're probably not going to do is use a tight end on a speed option to the flat. And that got buried like fairly obviously uh so then you decide to, to kick a long field goal that's andrew beck i think it was his first or second career carry yeah so okay he gets buried loss of yardage so all right we'll kick the long field goal you know we've we've gained this out from last week we'll kick the long field goal and you spent so long dithering about whether to kick the long field goal or not now you're running out of time so it's delay a game so now the long field goal just became not a long it became a really long field goal well, we missed the last one of those we attempted, so punt the ball instead. It's like, what the, What just happened? You had third and one, and you turned that into a punt by losing yardage and then dithering and costing yourself even more yardage. Um, I, I think I said it last week. I, I just want to reiterate. It seems easy from here, and I'm not absolving Nathaniel Hackett. I'm saying when you're trying to find a head coach, it is tough to predict yeah. how well they're going to do that stuff. The game is fast. I remember baseball manager, Terry Francona, baseball, the slowest game in the world, <laughs> saying the game is fast. The game of baseball is fast when you're the manager, right? Because, well, just because you have to anticipate, when do I bring this pitcher in? What if they do this? What if they pinch hit? Like there are moves that you have to anticipate in a slow game like baseball. Yeah. And then you put, then you multiply that by a thousand and it's football. The game of baseball is the, it rivals cricket for being the slowest game i've ever seen in my life and cricket is a game that takes multiple days no it doesn't rival place. cricket but all I, i'm saying is the actual decision making and all that stuff in baseball is like it's kind of bang bang right you have to have some anticipation in football it's it's that much more and we talked about this earlier on the show like how do you practice all of these situations well i think the broncos need to do more of it i mean as much as you can have the head coach sit down and, and practice these situations when you're in the thick of it, it is going fast. And the yeah. only way you get out of that is to be better prepared. By the way, one more goof in the game. Um, Denver gets a defensive stop on a series, then forgets to send out the punt returner. You know, the, the punt return team went out, just absent the punt returner, forcing them to burn the second time out late. I mean, again, it's like, okay, is that really Nathaniel Hackett's responsibility? Probably not. On the other hand, why are all these things happening to one guy? You know? Yeah. So, okay, it's like, 
Russell Wilson isn't playing out of his mind. You know, all the jokes are flying around Twitter yesterday about, hey, here's what Russ is cooking up. You know, hot pockets as far as the eyes can see, all those kinds of things. That's your joke. I mean, that one was mine, but yeah. there were a lot of other ones. There were like pictures of some horrendous meals that people had cobbled together. It's like, hey, here's Russ cooking. Um, but if you're, if I'm looking for where does the where does the largest portion of the pie of responsibility and blame lie right now through two weeks for Denver, it's coaching. Yeah. I mean, this is this is some bad stuff that's happening here, and I don't think that much of it is Russell Wilson's fault right now. And Hackett's had good moments as an offensive coordinator. You know, he was excellent in Green Bay and all that stuff. He's been good. But it's a whole different dynamic when you're managing the game, yeah. when you're the head coach. And so far it has not looked good. It has not looked good for Denver. The, the Russ is cooking stuff, the update here, he's dropped back over 40 times twice. Um, Which is already an outlier. Yeah, last year he had two of those games. Um, he was hurt. 2020, where they did let him cook a little bit, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of those games, maybe 10. So 2020 was like the one year where they unleashed him a little bit. But so far, two for two here in Denver. And not with like a, not because of like crazy game script or anything, right? Oh. This was in close games. Yeah. This was by design. Um, and, the, and the Broncos' offense looks terrible overall. They ran the ball pretty well yesterday, which is part of why people didn't want them to hand the ball to Andrew Beck on third and one. Melvin Gordon and um, Javante Williams did a pretty nice job. But a lot of inconsistencies here. Jerry Judy gets hurt. Him and Patrick Sertan both out. Did we get enough? That looked a lot like a popped collarbone. Yeah. I, I, when you I, think about how skinny Judy is and you see how hard he hit the ground, it did. they reported it as good. a shoulder injury and very quickly downgrade him to out i just it looked a lot like a collarbone to me to, to dr monson over here you are the yeah oh i got so uh, they were you know the justin herbert injury late in the game uh, against kansas city way back in thursday oh, night yeah, you yeah, know yeah. like a month and a oh, half yeah. did ago. you diagnose that on the spot i no no i well i i mean look <laughs> the, the 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 chargers even after the game were like well we got to check and make sure it's he didn't just get the wind knocked out of him i'm like i I think we can cross that one off. Like, I think you can rule out the wind got knocked out. Gotta hope it's just a sprain, Jim. Look, I'm no, I'm no doctor over here, but I think there's a lot of people that could immediately rule out he just got the wind knocked out of him, right? Then, like the next day, it's like, hey, he, so he got the ribs knocked out of him. Well, it was, it was reported as he broke cartilage. So I texted my dad. I was like, does one break cartilage as opposed to tear it? I mean, cartilage is the the sort of, you know, the rubbery substance rather than it doesn't break. And he was like, it probably means the, the point where the cartilage attaches to the, the actual bone, the rib, that's what's like broken apart. We, I, didn't get like a, I didn't get a prognosis or a timeout or anything, but I, I just qualified what exactly had happened to him. Looked painful, I'll say that. Yeah. So anyway, the, the old man was able to explain the broke versus tear element of it. I didn't check to it whether Jerry Judy popped the collarbone Would, from him, though. Can we get your dad to be like the Dr. Chow or something? Like, can we get him Our, to... like, dial-in consultant? Yeah. yeah. I probably. mean, we've tried that here at PFF I before. mean, he's going to be retiring soon. We could probably give him a spot, yeah. give him a segment. We did that with Dr. Pomerantz a few uh, yeah. years ago. We can get uh, get your dad on here. Yeah, just dial him in. Yeah. What do you make of this one? Yeah. But, like, don't give him any prep either. Just, like, throw the video up oh, and yeah. say... What Tell me think? on the spot. <laughs> what do you think yeah. happened? Yeah. Uh, be confident about it. Uh. Just speak confidently. It doesn't matter. Um, Denver's defense actually could be pretty good, too, by sure. the way. Um, we had some concerns with – I mean, I had some concerns with Vic Fangio going, but through two games, they've done a pretty nice job. At, bad first half against the Seahawks, but since then – And they were missing really a few players in this one. I mean, yeah. like you said, Pat, uh, did you say Patrick Sertan? I said Sertan, like yeah. yeah. So Sertan missed 
half the game at least uh they didn't have the rookie nick benito who's one of their better situational pass rushers going into it he was inactive um yeah so missing a couple of players denver's defense was able to do well now look it's it's the texans who weren't supposed to be any good so you know let's let's set expectations here but it it did do well um, I just want to say, too, it's not like we've never seen Russ kind of trudge through three quarters and then make a big-time throw at the end. He did. I mean, it's kind of know, what he's, that's his M.O. Yeah, he's done that plenty of times throughout his career. Had the 22-yard touchdown, good throw to for the game winner I in, do kind of think, quarter. you know, this whole what does an offense look like that best maximizes Russell Wilson's unique skill set and playing style, it kind of feels like you should just throw everything out except, like, drop back and moon ball, you know? Yeah. Just four deep every play. Pick your favorite. I mean, if Russell Wilson has four attempts at a deep shot, isn't he going to hit on one of them? Yeah. That's how, just make that the offense. That's how college teams play. Right. That can be that's, – that's your entire passing offense. And then all that you have to do is decide when they're backing up too much and hand the ball off to Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon up the middle. Take eight yards. It's the Mike Leach offense, except instead of slants, it's go balls. Yeah. That's what we're running here. There you go. I fixed it for you. Just throw go balls left and right. Four deep. And then an occasion, once they give you a five-man box, there's the handoff up the middle to Javante Williams. Broncos fixed. All right, uh, Broncos are hosting. And then ideally on third and short, don't, not the speed option of the tight end. Tight end slash fullback. All right, so uh, the Broncos are going to host the San Francisco 49ers next Sunday night, Sunday night football. The Niners win 27-7 against the Seahawks yesterday. Of course, the big story, Trey Lance, broken ankle, is it? Either way, he's out for the season. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, plays like Jimmy Garoppolo in the win. But man, after all offseason talking about Trey Lance, what he's going to do, the big play potential that he's going to bring to the table here, we just never got to see it. And we're back to Jimmy Garoppolo leading. Still a pretty good Niners team. What are your thoughts? I mean, I just... Sad I, for Lance. Yeah, I feel sorry for Trey Lance. And I'm, I'm sad that we're not going to get to see... Trey Lance this season I mean uh, for better or worse whether it was going to go well or badly it would have given us some clarity on the situation as to what exactly that's going to be going forward now we have no Trey Lance data points what's I mean now Trey Lance is going to go into his third season and we have no earthly idea whether he can start or not they gave three first round picks for this guy while they had Jimmy Garoppolo and it's going to get further complicated like if Jimmy Garoppolo plays well this year what the hell are they going to do so Trey Lance has only he only had 319 dropbacks at the FCS level. Yeah, 132 at the NFL. We're talking about 450 dropbacks of for like Trey totality Lance. evidence yes. for his football playing life. Yes, because we don't have the JUCO film. True. Um, so between FCS and the NFL, Trey Lance is going to go into year three with about 450 dropbacks under his belt. Just nothing. Yeah, like, um, that's, that's and he has two thirds of an NFL season. He hasn't played great yet. But I always I kept prefacing it by yeah he'll throw it to the defense but the big plays will be there right he'll he'll he had the two big time throws in week one that's what he'd been bringing to the table that Jimmy Garoppolo had not I think Garoppolo is going to go in and run the offense the same way that Shanahan has an incredible record with Garoppolo as his starter and the yeah. 49ers are going to be one of the better teams but Trey Lance had the chance opportunity to put them over the hump and this is why you know this is why you resign Jimmy G to that deal. Okay, yes. That is what I said to do, right? Instead of trading. That was the one thing I said that the Niners could do. And now they had to restructure his contract to do that. But I, I think at this point, well, this is, yeah, it this, was the right move. This is the other element. So there's this sort of debate as to is needing to turn back to Garoppolo because Trey Lance plays badly worth the trade-off of the, the field stuff, you know, the, the pressure that he adds. 
But then the extra element on your side is, well, yeah, but what, there's also what if Trey Lance gets hurt? What if you have to turn to, to the backup, not because you, the quarterback, the starter is playing badly, but because the starter just breaks his ankle? Now, you, you, you know, the decision is made for you. You have to go in that direction. So that is what they've ended up doing. And okay, three draft picks later, they're right back where they started. But it's better than having turned to Brock Purdy as your starting quarterback because Trey Lance went down. Um, Seattle only scored on what a blocked was a field goal blocked field goal for a touchdown so uh, Seattle's offense essentially shut down the um, Niners defense looked good in week one in the rainstorm looked really good again a little bit of rain in San San Francisco but the Niners defense remember all the people that were telling us hey watch out Niners defense Niners defense might have been right yeah I mean well I think we saw in this game that you know remember how much of the weather was going to be a thing in week one and it's going to be a different 49ers defense in week two where they don't have to deal with a sloppy field and you know Nick Bosa can just tee off and actually get a ton of pressure and those kinds of things Talanoa Hofanga you got that right yeah 49ers safety he was a 2021 fifth rounder one of the stories of the season so far got a 90 plus grade at safety he had uh you know he played last year he was fine he's just flying around man he is making plays it does seem like every time the Niners are making a big play defensively he's breaking up a pass and just just wreaking havoc on the back end at safety so he's been hashtag fun to watch and and playing playing some really good ball right now for the Niners yeah he made a he made a couple of run stops it felt a lot like Seattle was telegraphing what they were doing a little bit too much yesterday like he made a couple of plays that were run stops where it, it only works if you have no other responsibility on the play you know what i mean yeah like you essentially run blitzed and if it had been anything other than a run in the direction you were running things mightn't have been quite so so beneficial as a a defensive result i don't want to make a lazy comp and say oh that's troy palomalo because palomalo flew around like and he spent entire career getting it right every time so it's sort of you reach a point where everything looks like a gamble but at some point you can't possibly be batting a thousand gambling the whole way therefore you assume it has to be tape study or you know knowledge or whatever it is I, for a guy, I mean, maybe he's the same in terms of maybe he get he knew every single one of these from tape study and just you know understanding a situation and down distance, et cetera. The alternative explanation is that Seattle's offense is telegraphing what it's doing a little bit too much, and it's too obvious that 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 was what was coming. Yeah, as I said, Denver's off defense since the first half against Seattle. Well, Seattle's offense since their first half on Monday Night Football last week, uh, not good, uh, not good at all. Geno Smith, a lot of. A lot of dink and dunk underneath type stuff. DK Metcalf, four catches for 35 yards. They're just not connecting with DK down the field. They're well, not they, taking advantage yeah, of them. Yeah, they connected on him in that one bomb that got taken away for uh, Ill- illegal man downfield. Right. So it was like the play action thing. It was like a play action fake screen or fake outside zone or something. And I think both tackles. The lineman was blocking. Yeah. So I think it was both tackles. Um, but Abraham Luke was the guy that was further along and therefore drew the flag. Uh, yeah, he was blocking a guy and ends up like shoving him loose. And apparently, once once the block disconnects, you can take a guy and drive him ten yards downfield if yeah. it's a pass play, and you can be ten yards beyond the line of scrimmage as long as you're still connected with the guy that you started blocking at right. the line of scrimmage. It's not illegal man downfield. The point where you disengage the block, then you become illegal. So Lucas drove his guy a couple of yards off the uh, down off the line of scrimmage, then disconnected, and he was you know three or four yards downfield. But I think. I think it was Charles Cross on the other side was also down. Anyway, either way, that was a bomb where uh, 
DK Metcalf made a spectacular catch over a DB, it gets negated and taken back. Ross Dwelly was your uh, tin cup guy this week. Just just schemed open for a for a thirty eight yard touchdown, wide open. So you know Shanahan still creating those creating those plays. Uh, Jeff Wilson really nice job running the ball yesterday for the Niners, but Jimmy Garoppolo, man. I mean, what's the key here for the Niners and Jimmy Garoppolo? He's we I think we know what we're going to get from him, but all we said last year is, dude, stop throwing the ball to the defense. He's got to cut yeah. down on the the turnover worthy plays. If he does that, the Niners will have a good offense again. Well, he's got to do that, and then the other thing he's got to do is stay healthy. I mean, remember that too because he's you can he's make, only stayed healthy a few seasons. You can make an argument that the single biggest problem with Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback is the fact that you can't rely on him being healthy for the entire season, and that alone is a reason to go after an upgrade or a, a contingency plan or whatever Trey Lance was. Now you got to rely on him for almost the entire season because Trey Lance is gone, and your only other alternative is Brock Purdy. I mean maybe now is the time for them to make some contingency moves. You know, maybe Brock Purdy isn't the quarterback, the, the next backer, the next man up for the foreseeable future. Like, maybe they go looking for a better alternative. All right, two more games, man. Arizona Cardinals 29, Las Vegas Raiders 23. The Raiders were up 23-7 to at one point. The Absurdity. Cardinals, what just an insane comeback by the uh, by the Cardinals here. They had... Was it two two-point conversions? Yeah. I think so. Two of the most ridiculous two-point conversions you'll ever see. Yeah. So they, they get back into it to go to um, – it was 23-7. Cardinals score a touchdown. Kyler Murray runs for the two-point conversion after about 20 seconds. 21 seconds in which he covered 84 yards, according to – I think it was NGS. Yeah. Um, you know, he ran around and covered 84 yards on a two-point conversion. So that makes it 23 to 15. Kyler scrambles for another touchdown to get within two. And then they go for two again. And this was after a five-yard penalty moves him to the seven with the game on the line. Need to get the two-point conversion. And Kyler Murray throws an absolute dime to A.J. Green in the back of the end zone. Nice catch by A.J. Green to haul it in. That ties the game at 23. You get into overtime. Hunter Renfro fumbles in overtime. Isaiah Simmons, the redemption story. Mm. After getting torched week one by Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs, Simmons was benched early. I mean, he just wasn't playing much yesterday. 14 snaps. How many was was the total? 14. 14 snaps. So he goes from starter to basically role player here. Forces the fumble on Hunter Renfro. Byron Murphy returns it. Almost goes full Deshaun Jackson at the goal line. Almost drops it too early. I don't get it. And uh, the the Cardinals with a walk-off fumble return touchdown in overtime to win 29 to 23 yeah and they also remember we we were saying there were two plays yesterday there was one on sunday night football and there was one in this game where it was a deep pass it was caught by the receiver who got two feet down and then immediately got blasted and the ball came firing aaron jones for the packers last night marquise brown for the cardinals yeah and on the marquise brown one it was immediately called an incomplete pass and we moved on and then the one last night, it was like, no, he got two feet down. He was moving. It's a complete pass and a fumble. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, these are almost identical. Either they're both catches or they're both. But it was interesting how, like, immediately decisive the decision was on both those. Like, that Marquise Brown one was immediately called incomplete. No, he never held for long enough. And nobody questioned it. It was just like, all right. 
I mean, I was like, okay, I mean, there's two feet down and he's turning. Like, we can debate when this football move thing actually starts and what is required, but I, that's, that's pretty close to a really important catch deep down the sideline. Oh, man. There was, uh, the, the Raiders had this game in hand yeah. for, for most of it. Um, they just they couldn't – it was Mac Hollins breaking out. This was um, – when they weren't going to Darren Waller or you know Devontae Adams only with only had seven targets he did get in the end zone two catches yeah just two catches but this was and his his touchdown was a like a it was a pick play it was a pick right they set it up for him but this was like this was good last week we were saying don't force it too much to him and so when you saw like when I saw Mac Hollins a guy I liked like six years ago for the cart for the for North Carolina but when you see Mac Hollins making plays I'm thinking okay this is Derek Carr not forcing the ball to Devontae Adams, going to his third and fourth option. And that's good. That's like a good long-term thing for the Raiders because there will be games where Devontae Adams takes over. But the problem with with Oakland, I almost said Oakland, with Vegas, mm. was uh, just putting it away. When you get up 23-7, to not sustaining offense after the fact. By the way, I, I do mean it was a pick play. I mean, like oh, legit. Matt Collins yeah, engaged, it was illegal. He engaged early and drove the guy a yard in the end zone yeah i mean it was pass interference like he was, was it within a yard the initial contact Ooh, it might have been actually it was yeah. close he might have been okay that for for with that rule yeah it wasn't like Devonte adams but either way like yeah. route running or anything yeah, like that absolutely it, schemed up touchdown right. if you like um the cardinals defense looked a little bit better with jj watt there you know last week the, look the cardinals defense was there was a point their first six quarters of football looked terrible embarrassing bad like yeah. tackling the space that offenses had to operate and all that stuff they did do a better job in the second half um and then it's so funny like offensively for the cardinals remember the big story was like what's the air raid gonna do in the nfl and now i think i finally figured out it's just let kyler drop back run around and make plays well that's <laughs> i mean what... that's what it became right at the yeah. end this wasn't the air raid. i'm not saying this is all the only way kyler played but that's what it became at the end there was Kyler just just run around he was the only guy um the only guy I've ever written in a scouting report where I was like I don't care that he looks at the rush yeah he should look at the rush right he needs to because he can navigate it and he's so quick that he's going to create those plays and I think you saw some of that yesterday he on the two-point conversion where he ran around for 21 seconds and you know 84 yards etc okay they only rushed three to get him in the first place but the two of them basically stopped rushing because they got tired you know, it wasn't like, I mean, they just, they, he ran around for so long that a couple of 300-pound dudes were like, all right, this is this has become an endurance play. I'm out. Like, I operate in sprints only. We've now, we've, you know, crossed over into the endurance events. Like, we've gone past, you know, whatever the line is in athletics, the 800 meters, where it becomes like a, a feat of endurance rather than a long sprint. That's what's happened here. We've gone over into the 800 meters, 1,500 meters, I, I'm 330 pounds. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to lean on the offensive lineman for a while until the pain ends. Like that's what happened in that play. Um, he is inc- incredibly good at that stuff. I mean, he's so quick, so fast. His change of direction and stuff is good. And that low center of gravity, the fact that he's tiny, I mean, it's a factor in those plays. He's very – I mean, the the second one or the second sort of scrambly crazy play later where Max Williams had him. Max Williams sacked him, and then he just, he's so Max, small. Crosby? Sorry, Crosby. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's so small, low to the ground, that he just kind of bent over, and Crosby, like, lost him. You know what I mean? He just yeah. slipped out of his grasp. That, that's a factor of being 
that small. It's really hard to corral a guy that's like that. It is. If you're a defensive player playing Kyler Murray, I don't, Lamar has a little bit of this, but it's, it's really the guys who are slippery you get <laughs> breaking out. You want a good metaphor? Always. Yeah. <laughs> You remember the scene where Rocky's trying to chase a chicken down? Yeah. It's, it's kind of what it's like trying to catch Kyla Murray. It's, it's, there, there was a, there used I used a, that before. I used that for, uh, I don't know if it was Kyler. There used to be a commercial where John Randall was trying to chase a chicken. It was a chicken yeah. with Brett Favre's jersey on it. Yeah, yeah. The, I remember that. Same thing. It's, that's what I it may have like. used that for Mahomes before. But, but because, uh, because Kyler is because so... You know, yeah. So it, well, I heard... Um, it does seem a lot like a chicken running around Somebody retweeted... A, lot, a line from a different Kyler Murray scouting report yesterday that was like, it was, it, he runs like a toddler who just ran away with your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say they're, oh, that's they're slippery. Outstanding. I got a metaphor. That's a really I'm on good. the metaphor board. It's not yours, though. You just repeated somebody else's with metaphor. With an Yeah. Uh, what? That's I a can, really good metaphor. Look, I need to catch up so I can steal That's some, yeah. one of my favorite metaphors ever. I was telling Gordon this, that my favorite one I've ever heard anybody use was, was a soccer metaphor. And, you know, Lionel Messi. Yeah. Even you will know Lionel Messi. Arguably, the, well, the greatest player ever. The Tom was, Brady of um, exactly. uh, football. When he was in his pump in Barcelona, he, him and Danny Alves in particular used to just play one-twos the whole way. You know, like he'd pass to Danny Alves and then he'd run and Danny Alves would immediately pass it back and they'd just go one-two, 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 one-two through everybody, right? It was absurd. When Danny Alves left and the sort of next generation of Barcelona players were there, Messi would still play these one-twos, but the guy on the other end wouldn't kind of get the message and <laughs> would just take the ball and go do something else with it. And this guy described it as, remember in The Simpsons when they're playing Frisbee with Santa's Little Helper? The ball would just like ricochet off his face, you know. Sure. You just stand there. It was like that was like the other Barcelona players when Lionel Messi's playing these one twos. They would just like let it hit them. Like, huh? They just didn't get it. That's I think that's, that's the finest that's metaphor good. I've ever heard in my life. Right up there with Kyler. But the Kyler is yeah. a toddler running away with your phone is a good one too. Even right down to how he holds the ball, like out here as he's running. Ooh. Oh my gosh, I know. It's uh, I mean that saved that saved Arizona's season. Right, they've got um, they've got the Rams next week. The Cardinals were but in danger of you know staring zero three. Doesn't that like so? This is a little bit like the Russell Wilson thing, where it's so hard to design an offense that's that. Like, how can yeah. you create an offense that's just hey, Kyler, drop back and make something happen? Which is essentially what you're asking them to do in those situations. It worked. That it the tricky situation for them is that the best thing they can do might be essentially to just let Kyler ad lib an offense. Just say, hey, here's the basic structure, but if you feel for a second that you need to make something else happen, just go nuts. You know, that's a really difficult thing. It's just thing so to inconsistent. Sustain. It's just so inconsistent. And DeAndre Hopkins will be back at some point. It's, and when when he's there, and there's like AJ Green caught the two point conversion, but he also had a bunch of like near catches that should have been there. AJ Green's just not yeah. finishing plays, right? Take the pressure off of AJ Green. And you have Marquise Brown. Zach Ertz isn't moving the same way he was before. You see him trying to like make moves in space. It's just not there. Greg Dortch can ball, by the way. I think the slot slot receiver out of Wake Forest. He's a good player. Um, he had their their lone touchdown. I mean, they they've got all the ingredients there. It is a tough balance though, trying to figure out how to how do you incorporate some pretty decent playmakers when when Nuke is back. Decent playmakers with Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray's natural playmaking ability. It's in- Kyler will also take more sacks that are his fault yeah right in, so you take the negative with it's the inconsistent but i think it's also a very difficult thing to 
augment and build around. Like in an ideal situation, if you have a quarterback that's uniquely gifted at doing something, you are able to build, you're able to change the system that helps him do that thing. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is a very good example of this. And Andy Reid helping. Patrick Mahomes plays the game in a different way to almost any other quarterback in NFL history, you know? And Mahomes doesn't go, well, okay, that's nice, but stay the hell in the pocket and do what I ask you to do. They build the systems around that offense to work with what Mahomes does, you know? So they change the patterns of, you know, the scramble drill and these kinds of things to factor in what Mahomes is going to do. I think it's very, very hard for, even if he wanted to, for Cliff to look at this offense and say, all right, if that's the best thing we do, Kyler just running around like a lunatic and trying to make a play, what am I supposed, how do I help? You know, how do I make that better? You can't. There, there's an endurance factor with him too, where he can't be doing that <laughs> all the time. You run around before. Do you, you remember? I mean, I, I mentioned this a lot on the show too. But Vic, those games where he would run for a hundred, like he was spent. He'd have a fifty-yard run and it'd be like, dude, I got to hand it off the next three plays. Yeah, like that—that that is physically taxing. Well, like, uh, like Gerald Everett on Thursday night. It's like I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I can't move. I, I don't know if that was just standing out to me more recent uh, the last couple weeks it's the the war of attrition the battle of attrition of just keeping guys healthy but um the endurance factor too for offenses defenses uh, for receivers who have to run a ton of routes all in a row or defenses who are on the field a ton i know there's more data there's there's um sports science type of data and all that stuff and we might have you know some to dig into and everything i am curious to see what that how how that is affected and are there players who are simply better in those situations. And if that becomes maybe a, a something that teams look at, right? This guy, this guy's fourth quarter motor is the same as his first or whatever it might be. Because um, it did feel like fatigue became an issue for a lot of teams down the stretch yesterday. Um, Raiders, tough collapse here, man. They mm. fall to 0-2 under Josh McDaniels. That's a 0% chance of making the playoffs from uh, my limited mathematical understanding of the last two years. So they're, it's over for the Raiders. Uh-huh. Mail it Done. in. Um, so the Raiders 0-2. They're in last place in the AFC West. And, um, you know, can't, can't get out of that. I still I, – so this is my one of My endurance is being tested here. We're at two, <laughs> over the two hours. This is one of those ones where the late sort of reversal of fortunes for either team makes it very difficult to figure out what the takeaway should be. For like so the Cardinals like ten minutes before the end of that game my takeaway is like the Cardinals stink this year yeah and with their schedule they might point. actually be done now yeah. they end up winning the game you're like I, did that change what I thought is that yeah. is there are things different now yeah and with the with the Raiders it was like hey, they had a tough game against the Chargers in Week One yeah. and Carr put it on the ground a bunch that's not going to happen all the time but they're a better team they yeah. showed that until they collapsed at the end yeah. But like the you know the Cardinals' schedule is like the next game against the Rams. You would expect them to lose that game. They might not. Not necessarily. I'm not expecting that necessarily. But I mean, it, okay, the Rams will be favorites for that game. Sure. Um, so they they could easily be you know one and two, uh, and then Carolina, then the Eagles. So they, like they have a they have a lot of games they can lose in the period where they're typically winning a lot of games to start the season. Well, let's wrap it up. Green Bay Packers 27, Chicago Bears 10. Make sure I didn't miss any games. Everybody shout if I didn't talk about your team. Like people are here the entire time. Hit that thumbs up button as well. The chat was here. Chat? The chat will have your back. Yeah, the chat. If I missed missed your team. Well, a lot of people come in late. Like, hey, did you talk about my team yet? Like, yeah, like seven hours ago. Well, those people don't, you know, only speak up if you've been here since the beginning. 
Yeah, and and uh, smash the thumbs up button, of course. <laughs> Am I saying this the right way? <laughs> Uh, 27 to 10 Packers <laughs> over the Bears uh, Bears were fighting early Justin Fields you know running touchdown uh, as I said in the pregame show you gotta have that one game where it's like oh we're beating our rivals and no Rodgers efficient for the for the Packers Packers run game was unstoppable though Aaron Jones averaged eight per pop including that he had that little pitch pass that was called a, t- a passing touchdown passing initially play. became a running play later they switched it but um Including that, Aaron Jones goes 15 carries for a buck 32. AJ Dillon carried the ball 18 times. I know I said that last year too, but there's something to having to play the Packers offense. And Aaron Jones is tough to tackle, and AJ Dillon is going to put a little hurting on you. And the passing game is quick, and Rodgers is right. It is difficult to play defense against this Packers team. AJ Dillon is so big, it's insane. Yeah, he he's built like Earl Campbell. He really has, like, the most impactful three-yard runs I've seen. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, particularly in this era of, you know, smaller, faster defenders, like, in particular, if you are, if you're a linebacker, like, it's Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith's, like, 230. He's given up 20 pounds to A.J. Dillon. And and Roquan Smith's not a particularly undersized linebacker by, by today's standards. Yeah, can you imagine repeated instances of trying to tackle that dude just over and over again and then when you finally get used to tackling the 250 pound monster they just hand it off to aaron jones who's got all that speed aaron jones is one of those running backs where every time i see him i seem to be sort of i seem to like remind myself he's really good he's he doesn't get used as much because they can keep him fresh and they you know aj Dillon can take his his uh share of the the workload but jones is so good at at everything he's a really good runner he understands space he's got quick moves he's got speed and he's a good receiver he's just a perfect back for this offense and they are really dangerous when they can use both those guys at the same time matt lafleur's tapped into that right i mean you don't so you don't have Devontae adams there are there's aaron jones and aj Dillon out there on the field at the same time you don't see a lot of that around the NFL to running backs, right? Historically, it's always been a running back and a fullback because you you want to have the defense think maybe you're going to line up with two backs in the backfield. But they're yeah. putting two backs um, in the gun. Uh, nobody had more than three catches for the Packers. Sammy Watkins got behind the defense for a 55-yarder. So they're spreading the ball around. Uh, you, know, you never know if it's going to be Randall Cobb. This was better. This was better. Now, at the same time, I think the Bears are just still very much overmatched. Sure. They're just an overmatched <coughs> roster. They were they were feisty early on, a couple mm-hmm. sacks of Aaron Rodgers and some of their young players looking pretty good, but they're just overmatched. And they made it close right up until they didn't quite score from the 1-yard line. Did you do re- some I did the research. Rat? I tweeted okay. it out. What do you got? So, the controversy on this play is they get to the they get to the shadow of the goal line. Uh, you know, it's was it third and short, fourth and no, fourth down, right? It was fourth and inches. Yeah. So fourth and nothing. And they line up with Justin Fields in the shotgun, who then tries to run yeah. it in and doesn't quite get there. Probably broke the plane of the, of the goal line, but the replay couldn't show the ball. Therefore, you can't overturn it. So somebody was at, I mean, that seemed to the boss, to Chris and to me and to a bunch of other people, a bad play call. Why would All you line Twitter. up in shotgun multiple yards back from the line of scrimmage if you're just going to try and gain the six inches you need anyway? So let me preface this by saying, I ha- we have fourth and one data 
not necessarily fourth and inches specifically here. So that might change things a okay. little bit. So there's a difference between a full yard and the six inches. There's a difference have. between, yep. right. Um, but I'll just, I'm just gonna give you the data, mm -hmm. right? Um, because the initial was like, the initial reaction is like, I can't believe you idiots, why would you snap the ball in the shotgun that close, <laughs> uh -huh. right? And I'm just gonna give you the data. Since 2017, touchdown percentage on all run plays from the one yard line, 63% from the gun, 55%. Mm. with no shotgun 63 to 55 um in that sample these are the these are all runs or just the quarterback runs? that's all runs i'll get your quarterback in a minute here um that's 289 shotgun runs versus versus over 1100 no shotgun okay now quarterback runs with no gun it's um what did i say i just tweeted this out too so with just the quarterback, in the gun, it's 75, 74.5%. Okay. And only 60%. No shotgun. Wow. Now, what, now what, what is baked into all this? The quarterback shotgun runs, we've only got 55 of them versus 205 with no shotgun. So only 55 quarterback shotgun runs from the one. A lot of people initially said, well, yeah, that's all Cam Newton. <laughs> that's a, it's a fair take. Yeah. So I looked up Cam Newton. Cam Newton's three for four in this situation. Now, when you expand it to the inside the five-yard line, Cam's like 12. He's got like 12 of them or something. He's like 12 for 15 or whatever it is. So inside the five, Cam Newton is, is, is stealing it. He's only three for four. The, re the entire NFL is 41 for 55 on shotgun quarterback runs from the one. Hmm. So you know, here's the other piece of this. Clearly, Tom Brady's not the one running these. Sure. Right? So you, you, but like I was, I started looking through the playlist. You have like Alex Smith on a keeper. You have Deshaun Watson. So it's usually the more mobile quarterbacks. It's a guy like a Justin Fields who's running it. So you, so there's some, some selection bias there. You don't take yeah. every quarterback, throw him in the gun. Um, but Justin Fields would be the guy that you select. Yeah. So then I looked one more time. They ran QB power. Yeah. Um, and so QB power is basically the, the front side of the line blocks down. You get a pulling guard coming around the backside qb power itself had only been run four six seven seven times from the one since 2017 but so tiny sample we don't glean anything from this as like well of course it's good because it worked but previously it had worked five out of six times according to our data so now since 2017 it's five for seven justin fields and jalen hurts are the only two failures at that point okay so i would never use that data and say of course you run qb power it's your five of six of course it's no, gonna work. but i think there's enough data but, there to but say there's enough data to say that's listen twitter instant reaction nonsense shotgun can work it's not a terrible call it's not like it's 30 percent shotgun and 80 percent under center at a minimum you're looking at that data and saying it wasn't a bad call it wasn't a bad call and actually the data suggests it's a better call than the one you expected them to make which is just line up right yeah. you know under center and try and force everything forward six inches now all that said i would have run a qb sneak <laughs> yeah. i would have run the qb sneak yeah i mean i think from six inches there's a lot to be said for if you have a quarterback that isn't kyla murray get him fall to pick forward the, yeah get him to pick the ball up and, and just kyla, go like you that just, you just burrow but I didn't even just, just go right under the go right under pick the, it and the reach. Defense. You only have to get it here. Oh, the reach move. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make one more baseball analogy. I'm sorry. Beautiful. I apologize. A baseball. So you're gonna go for a twofer, a baseball yeah. and an Listen, analogy. My take on quarterbacks 
in the QB sneak. So a lefty pitcher in baseball has an advantage when there's a runner on first base. He's facing the runner. You can see it. Right? And the runner, it's, it's tough to steal on a lefty pitcher. A le- to me, a lefty pitcher in baseball, there's no excuse for them not to be good at not letting runners steal the base on them, right? They, they should have a good pickoff move. They should be really good at that. It's like an easy, it's just an effort thing. Like you should be able to work at that and be good at it. It doesn't take talent to be good at that aspect of the game. I feel that way about QB sneaks, right? The fact that like Tom Brady's mastered it and done a great job with it. Drew Brees used to do the over the top move and all that stuff. I feel like that's an effort thing. The fact that Big Ben never mastered that at the end, like just dude, come on. Th- those should be free yards. Like there, Carson Wentz is good at QB sneaks. Justin Herbert, I think, has become uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. There, anybody can be good at QB sneaks if you put the effort in. And I think every quarterback should have as part as part of their repertoire the simple QB sneak, the one where you kind of go to the B gap, the over the top at the goal line, and then if you get good at that, like what happens with Brady, you're so good at it they put four guys there, mm. and then you just run an outside zone play, <laughs> and they're out gapped. Right. This should be easy offense. And I'm saying I'm not saying Justin Fields isn't. I'm just talking quarterbacks in general. Every single quarterback should be good at this. You know what Roethlisberger's problem was? What's that? He's too wide. You put that flak jacket on him. That man's taking up a full gap by himself. You're not getting. There's no. You can't burrow, and he can't. Like he couldn't jump. You know. So there's no up. There's no spring. He was just the wrong shape for QB sneaks. The wrong shape. Yeah. He was like, Roethlisberger, if you were describing Roethlisberger's body shape, it would be rectangular. And it's quite a wide rectangle. You, you don't know? think rectangles can sneak? I uh, No. Rectangles can't sneak. You can't jam a rectangle into a gap, into the A gap. It doesn't work. You need to be narrower, skinnier, or have the capacity to leap over the top. Yeah, maybe. That was his problem. Rectangles can't sneak. Rectangles if you've learned anything sneak. today... <laughs> from the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah. I'm ready to plug in now. Oh, yeah? Any other takeaways from this game? No, but if, you, if that is going to wreck the audio and make the buzzing sound start, at least it's only the last minute or two. I just plugged in my laptop. Any buzzing? Anything here? Um, so, yeah, I just think uh, Bears were overmatched. It was, it was funny how Rodgers, at his post-game interview, basically said, this is just like last year. Terrible week one. Come back the next week against a, he goes, against a division opponent. Like last year it was the Lions. Mm. This year it's the Bears. So they get the setup for the bounce back game. And then week three last year, the Packers had the dramatic comeback against the 49ers, tough team in the conference. This week, the Packers have to go to Tampa Bay to go play the Bucks. Tough game week three. Very much like last year when the Packers were the number one seed in the whole deal. So um, I think there's still questions about what the Packers offense looks like and, you know, when, when, when it's crunch time, you know, who's the guy? Do they have a guy? Is Rodgers still comfortable spreading the ball around? But offense looked pretty good last night. Yeah. And they, uh, they won the battle up front for sure. Mm-hmm. I will say that, um, you know, one of the takeaways from week one with the Bears, we were like, is this real or is this fake? It's, you know, that offensive line looked pretty good against San Francisco where they were supposed to be massively overmatched. And you're like, yeah, but it's a sloppy field. You know, Nick Bosa was neutralized even without what you were doing to him. They didn't play great yesterday, but I do think that that line might be okay. You know, might all right, may, may, might not be a disaster this year. I think they're really protecting them. I think they are too. But I, but that's part of it. You know, like they the way that they're able to protect that offensive line. Like I, 
My point being, I don't think the line is going to be a crippling reason that nothing can function on this offense, which was a real possibility heading into the year. How is, how is Justin Fields only dropping back, what, 17 times? It was the game plan. This is Fields saying that, not me. 18 times. Matt's like, I just no, run with the Yeah, 17 times. In it, what's the game plan? The game plan has to be put points on the board. Run the ball. Run the ball down their throats. Did they run the ball well outside? They had a couple big runs. They, they had a couple big runs when they made their comeback. I mean, they did run the ball all right. They seem to run the ball reasonably well, kind of inside with, uh, I, I'm using the word power without meaning the play Not power. the play call. Yeah, yeah. using the physical power. Uh, and then they kind of went away from that and started trying to run more laterally and stuff, and that's where it seemed to fall apart a little bit. Um, but I think they can run the ball pretty well inside. Yeah. Well, Packers moved to one and one. I mean, it was the first place Bears versus the last place Packers. Last place Packers pull off the uh, the win here. The upset. Yeah, twenty-seven to ten Packers win. I think that's every game. There's two Monday night football games tonight. Yeah, pretty fun. Should they do this every week? Well, they overlap as well, so it's not. They do. It's not like a back-to-back thing, which they've done in the past. It's. I kind of like it. I because I have it. I got the two TV set up. I could. I can handle it. I can handle, can handle it. Yeah. yeah, I can handle two Monday. And they're night games. saying there's going to be a lot of crossover. It's going to be like a red zone channel, you know, with this constant with the back and forth checking in in both games, you know, all that kind of thing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Who's oh, because it's ABC and it's ESPN. ABC, yeah, they're making yeah, they're it both. Yeah, making it an event. Uh huh. I think I would like maybe fewer islands and more. You just want two games going on. At the I same want double time. island games. Yeah. What's a if it's not an island game? What is it? If there's, if there's two island games, what do we call it? It's a peninsula game. No, Peninsula, no. It would be an archipelago, right? The, the multiple islands of the chain. There you go. All right. I like that instead of island games. You should tweet that out. It's an archipelago game. Ar- archipelago? Is that it? No. That's, I, I'm pretty sure how I'm pronouncing it isn't quite correct, but how you pronounce it is even worse. It's a good chance. All right. Well, I think that's it for us. We have Joe Thomas on the show Wednesday. Yes. Uh, we'll be previewing the, the Wednesday Joe night Thomas. game. Send us in uh, some. There's always something to talk about during the season, but yeah, send us your emails. It's nflpodcast at pff.com. Mm-hmm. Sound good? Yes. Yes, it does. All right. Appreciate all of our sponsors. Don't forget to go get the PFF app. Appreciate No House Advantage, DraftKings, Symbol. Be sure to check out everything that they are offering. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And what do you got to do on your way in? Oh, thumbs up on the way out. Thumbs up. Like it. There you go. Maybe even listen. If you're listening to the podcast, give us the five-star review. Do all that, too. Yeah. And a nice review. review. You know, write some 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 nice florid prose about us. Vote on who you like better, Steve or Sam. Let's really start. No, no, don't do that. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Wednesday.